Hello and welcome to episode 147 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. In this episode, we're calling it Ready, Aim, Test Fire, as we'll be sharing our full impressions of last weekend's Splatoon 2 Global Test Fire later in the show, uh, plus impressions of a shooter of a different kind, Metal Slug 3 for the Switch, which I know you have invested enough time into fully beat, if I'm not mistaken. Not that long of a game. Well... I didn't say it was. I said you invested enough time. <laughs> but in addition to uh, all that, we also have other things to discuss. Things like uh, new third-party Switch games, Nintendo's latest moves on mobile, Fire Emblem Echoes news, and to top it all off, the first hints of what may be coming at E3 2017 this summer from Nintendo. So if the last episodes were like you bought into a, I don't know, it's like all Switch all the time. This is like the variety pack. This is this is when you go and get the Halloween candy. It's like all these weird little things in there, except I guess it's news and not candy and this analogy is falling apart before it even really got off the ground. So I'm just going to stop talking and tell you to use the timestamps at ramtown.com if there's any specific topics you want to hear. Otherwise, we might as well just go right into it. All right, then. All right. So uh, we start with the Switch. Or yeah, I see Bloodstained is the first thing on the agenda? Yes, Bloodstained is the first thing on the huh. agenda. We're kicking off with third-party stuff, and then we'll ease into first-party. So, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's been some weirdness in the third-party front with, like, Legacy under... Uh, undercover which we'll cover later but there's been good news and recognizable faces coming to switch for the first time including most notably bloodstained ritual of the night which uh for those who don't know this is the spiritual successor of the 2d castlevania game vania games essentially uh it stars a kickstarter project it's being developed by nt creates who does uh who did blaster master zero who did uh gun vault as a striker gun vault so they have a good pedigree and it's being published by 505 games but what really matters is it's being directed by Koji Igarashi, who you may know as the mastermind of the Castlevania series from Symphony of the Night on PlayStation 1 up through everything on the DS. So all the awesome Game Boy Advance ones, all the DS ones, that's all him. And they left Konami and has now kicked off this kind of indie version. Now he's like, pretty much another Platonic, another... He's um, a my number nine, hopefully from... done right. Yeah. Well, that's like a ukulele, but... Yeah, a ukulele, yeah. So, so and like ukulele, I mean, I guess it was announced for the Wii U, but then they just bailed. Exactly. So the reason this is coming up like is a bunch was, of other Kickstarter games. Yeah. Well, that, that's the same. It's like you can't. It's this growing mass exodus from the Wii U. Like I can't fault them because I don't. Well, yeah. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, it's a dying it console. I. I mean, while I still, I've played it maybe three times since the Switch came out, and every time it's kind of like a, I guess like a chore for lack of a better term. Yeah. Because it's slow. Well, yeah, Compared well, to the Switch. Well, that and, uh, wow, going back to that interface, it's just, it feels so clunky now. It's almost like all those times I was saying they have one too many Photoshop filters on the icons. You're like, I don't know why you care so much about the interface. Now you get it. Yeah, now you get it. I mean, it is worth it for Smash Brothers, but, wow. Yeah. It's like going back to like, like the skeuomorphic buy... iPhone uh, design before they did the flat no, interface. Yeah, it, it definitely, I mean, right now, I guess it's because I'm liking the Switch. And I already have, I think I'm at... I'm one away from 12 games stick by filling up that little mm-hmm. row thing. Like I'm less inclined to buy a, a Wii U game, even if it's good, just because I'm hoping that it'll come to the Switch. Yeah, and that's what, and that's what all the... Um... Unless, obviously, it has something that only can happen on the Wii U, which 
which is only you can do which is only the two screen or the asymmetric at this point but yeah that's why so many indie games are jumping ship because there is no yeah there's 13 million people out there that have a a wii u but there is no no one's going back there's not no reason for people to go to wii u the games nintendo's not making any more games there's no reason to check in it's gathering dust more than ever in a lot of ways i mean yeah you might go back to smash you might go back to splatoon one if you want that's literally only a matter of time before they port them exactly so so for stuff like that, it makes sense that you know ukulele jump ship. It makes sense that that a uh, two, what was it, the two tribes game, the side scrolling shooter, Rive, that jumped over. Mm. Um, even Stardew Valley, which was announced as part of the whole indie showcase right before the Switch came out, that was originally Wii U and then got moved. Um, there's a game called Legend of Rusty Pup, which you never really talked about on the show, which is a side scrolling. random images of it. It looks but... really cool visually. Visually, it's a side scrolling game where you control a robotic dog. That's really all I know. It's like a robotic dog head or something. Yeah, so it's it's on 3ds and Wii U. Now it's on 3ds and Switch because why support Wii U? So so Bloodstained Wait, is just kind of following to... that pattern. Did Armor Crawl ever come out? I don't know. I remember that was a thing for the Wii U. They're like, oh, we're don't... gonna use the gamepad so you can see things, but. Because I remember I wanted that game. It was like a stop-motion point-and-click adventure. How by do you the... spell that? I have the power of the internet at my fingertips. Um, as it sounds, there's no trick spelling. Is it a A-R-M-I-K-R-O-G? A-R-M-I-K-R-O-G? Yeah, and I remember right. it was by the people that made hey, it from everyone, Jim. everyone at home, you can Google along with us if you like. <laughs> uh, I can't. Your internet's really slow right now. This is riveting podcasting. Armor Crawl. Well, well, oh, here we go. It is not. Oh, well. Mm, no. Not out on Wii U. I mean, is it out on anything? I don't know. Oh. Huh. Oh wait, no, I lied. It is on Wii U. I'm sorry. Really? It's available at Nintendo.com currently for ten dollars, and it's listed as in stock because you know there's limited inventory. <laughs> but um, yeah, it came out. Oh wow! It definitely came out. It's right here. It came out in August. It looks like. Oh. How August twenty third of last year. Okay. Huh, I wonder how I missed that. I don't know, but you know what? We could talk about next episode of the Randall Podcast. Fifty percent on Metacritic. I wonder why that is. Well, anyway, let's go back to Bloodstained, because that, that's what started all this. So, Bloodstained. Well, hopefully this comes to Switch, since it was obviously on everything else. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and by the way, um, to those listening, if you hear background lurking, it's very, like, if you hear flapping, it's very windy on LA. There's not a guy, like, outside the window ready to, like, come in and stab us. That's just the stuff around your house blowing in the wind. So, don't worry. You're safe. We're safe. It's We're our safe space, so you're okay. But, uh, yeah, Bloodstained. So the reason I brought it up is, like, it's a really cool-looking game, and now it's kind of switched. So to Castlevania fans, like I was saying, it's kind of the spiritual successor of Symphony of the Night and whatnot. Castlevania fans is pretty much what you expect from any of those games. You got a, a 2D size-growing game. You're, it's like a Metroidvania, obviously. You In this game, you control a cursed orphan who's exploring a demon-filled castle. And then as you progress, you get new powers, as you always do. In this case, the powers are presented as crystals in her body or attached to her body or whatever. And then there's items so you can get that enhance those So on top of being a spiritual successor to, I guess, the last Castlevania, yep. that Symphony of the Night, yeah, yeah. it almost seems like it's a direct sequel, or I guess... Sort of. The only thing it doesn't have is Dracula. They purposely left oh, out no, no, Dracula no. to keep it from being exactly like Castlevania. No, well, yeah, but I mean, I think their last DS game was, um, I don't know what it was called, like, I don't know, Tattoos from Evil or something like that, where it was pretty much the protagonist was a woman that had tattoos that pretty much were her source of her power. If they called that game Tattoos from Evil... <laughs> no, the game came out already a long time ago. <laughs> I know, but... Well, well you could, it's the one on DS, right? The last one on DS? Yeah, but I just remember it was like just a woman exploring a castle with demons, and she caught powers. Well, they're powers, all kind but, of the same. You're yeah. not playing it for the story. You're well, playing yeah. it for the gameplay. And what, what's interesting about um, Bloodstained is, unlike those Castlevania's which were all sprite-based, 
This one is actually 3D polygons. It's using Unreal Engine to power it, but it's a 2D plane. So you're still moving left, right, but it's kind of like Kirby 64, like Kirby and the Crystal Shards. It's like that sort of setup, but bloodier, I guess. Huh. Uh, but yeah, it's the, the reason I feel like it's worth pointing out is not just the fact that you got Igarashi, the guy who does Castlevania, but the Wii U version and presumably now the Switch version is actually also being uh, developed. Order of Ecclesia. Oh, Order of Ecclesia. That's a much better name than uh, Tattoos of Evil or Evil <laughs> Tattoos or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the game, the, the assist on the development is being done by uh, Armature Studios. Armature Studios may not be a, a name that many people know, but they're a team made up of ex-Retro Studio employees that worked on Metroid Prime 1 and 2 and then went on to more recently make ReCore on Xbox, which I heard had some issues. But you know, it's a, it's a, the point. It had its moments as well. But the point is, the pedigree of developers is you got a guy that made Castlevania, you got the guys that made Metroid Prime, which expanded on the Metroidvania um, like blueprint in some really interesting ways, and they're now coming together with the help of Inti Creates, who makes really good like actiony ca- Metroidvania games. But I mean, is it to like make saying... the ultimate pseudo Castlevania sequel thing? Oh, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's but like... yeah, but I, I I don't remember what game it was for, but I remember. I mean, this is going to just sound pretty much pointless to say because I don't remember the game, yeah. but I remember there was a game that people were saying, like, like oh, I had, oh, no, I think it was, I want to say it was Ninja Turtle Smash Up, but pretty much um, people were saying, oh, it has people that developed Smash Brothers on the team, so it's obviously going to be good because it had the people that developed Smash Brothers. Right. But it turns out that the people that they said were developed, that helped in Smash Brothers didn't really... Were they the QA guys? <laughs> yeah, they, they weren't exactly, like, the core people that developed, like, the final but, mechanic but and I stuff think, like that. I think they're like, oh, we have a Metroid Prime guy. Like, oh yeah, he programmed the lights. All right, let me let me back it up. Armature <laughs> Studios was formed by the director and producer of Metroid Prime One. They okay. left Retro okay. and maybe two, but they I think it's director producer for sure, director or producer and the art director. Okay, so that's the so they're, they're higher up, yeah. and you got the dude that pioneered the Metro the modern day Metrovania setup, Igarashi. Yeah, and you got into creates who we know has a good pedigree because we have Azure Striker Gunvolt one and two out there and, and Blaster Master <laughs> so more Zero. More promising than Smash Up. It's basically. significant. I would yes, I would argue that a game from the creator of Castlevania that mirrors Castlevania is more promising than Ubisoft's knockoff of Smash Brothers that uses licensed characters of the Ninja Turtle universe mm. and one too many. So that's something could be said by the <laughs> like oh a game by the Mega Man creator is better than yeah, Smash Up. Yeah, well you know what? Don't bring that up because I you know I think because that almost that throws that down. It's like the same. Well, so here's the funny thing about my number nine when it came out. I said on this show. I mean, his ego just got bloated, it seemed like, or I don't know it, what. It really did. As did the development of the game, am I right? Got super bloated. But, um, yeah, I was. Oh, when that, I was that playing. Animal panel you went to. And then, oh, yeah, yeah I've told this story. For those who haven't heard the story, because I know we have a fair number of new listeners, when they announced a second Kickstarter to their game in front of fans that were looking for seeing what their first Kickstarter <laughs> money went to, it does not go well. Yeah, I don't even think you had to release it at that point. You're just like, no. all right, so game. Like, no, we're gonna make an anime. We want and, more money. And to be honest, that is why Kickstarter games in general are on the downward trend. Like, you don't see unless it's from established people like Platonics Crew, <laughs> pretty much or, like ex first party developers. Yes, unless it's there's some pedigree there, you do not make much headway with Kickstarter. At least in anymore. video games. In video games, no, even in like like there's this thing now. Like, if you read articles about, okay, I'm uh, just saying because I don't know. I mean, no, I know, but there's this art. There's always articles like if you read articles cool. about oh on on Kickstarter, some company's coming out with a new smartwatch and it uses a brand new operating system, but this company's never made anything before. That little, but this company's never made anything before is much more important now than it was three, four mm. years ago. They never used to have to say it's a new company, but now reporters feel obligated because that means you're not getting it ever. It's not coming yeah, out. The only other market I know does 
decently well if they haven't done anything before just board games but that's only because they've yeah they're, they're they're a success story but even in the board game case they're coming from established companies right like the bunny the bunny card game or whatever like that came from the oatmeal or something like oh, that. No, i'm saying like in general because mm-hmm. i was looking at some board games that didn't have any reputation mm-hmm. but people right. well they, they help each other like you get recommended to others from other board game people that are I yeah. guess established. Like, oh, check out this game. Yeah, yeah, because they're... And that's kind of like... Kicks, I feel like the gaming kickstarter is kind of like that, too. Like, if 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 Platonic or someone was like, hey, if Nintendo... Let's do this. Let's say it this way. If Nintendo... If a, a game's being kickstarted and then they're like, we work with Nintendo and they have given us a Switch dev kit. If they give you a Switch dev kit, that's kind of a vote of confidence from Nintendo. So then you're... That's probably a safe kickstart. But if it's like... Hey guys, we're making the third skunk bundle, and we'd love your money for it. I don't think anyone's gonna bite. Like I, just, I just don't. Which is why I'm excited for Bloodstain because it has such a good pedigree behind it, and it's actual like a real publisher in Five Five Games, a real developer in Entity Creates, and Armature, a guy that leads it that knows what he's doing. There's no crazy delay. I mean, they did delay it from la- from this year to be- first half of next year, but there's nothing of the absurdity of Mighty Number no. Nine. Did you know Mighty Number no. Nine? Still is supposedly coming to 3DS. I f- forgot it was ever going. I, th- I forgot yeah. that it was originally. Yeah, it moment. hasn't been canceled yet. It's been a year. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Bloodstain, and I think it's cool that we're seeing more high-profile indie games, even than the ones we've talked about the last few episodes now, popping up with the likes of Bloodstain and the like. And it's not just indie games either. There's some bigger third parties that are doubling down on Switch a bit. Um, take Square Enix, for example. They have come out with... Well, they haven't come out. They've announced that they're going to be coming out with a collection of the cult classic mana games all on a single cartridge. So what they're doing is they're making the uh, Senken Densetsu collection, which is the mana series for those who don't know. And they're putting a compilation that includes the Game Boy's Final Fantasy Adventure, which was the original in Japan. Uh, Final Fantasy Gaiden Secret of Mana, which was in Japan, is since uh, Senken Densetsu 2, and I can't say Japanese, well, I apologize. And then the third entry in the series, which has never come outside of Japan, is also on the cartridge. So you're getting all three of those with a new quick save feature, with a new music player where you can actually go to your Switch's home menu and rather cleverly, uh, because the home menu is just an overlay, listen to the music from the game. That's all built in, and it's being developed by M2, who are the guys that did uh, 3D Classics for Sega on the 3DS eShop. So they have a good pedigree, and you have all this coming to Switch for about 40 bucks in Japan. 4,300 yen. Or, yeah, What yen. about the U.S.? That's the thing. Who knows? I imagine that this will ultimately come to the U.S., and probably the inclusion of the third game in the series, the third mana, will be the main selling point to justify a full price tag over here, because, you know, we never got that game so they could easily say oh yeah you'll get one and two again you'll get the game boy game you'll get the super nintendo game but you'll also get this unreleased first translate for the first time game and then can justify 40 50 bucks to charge for it but i think the bigger thing about this is what it indicates for virtual console for switch um the compilation is coming out in june in japan and Square Enix and Nintendo are pretty close these days. I mean, they're very close. So much so that Nintendo's reportedly publishing the localized version of Dragon Quest Heroes 1 and 2 for Switch. Yeah, and aren't we also getting Octopath or something from them? Yes, uh, Octopath Traveler or whatever Project it's called. Project Octopath Traveler. Yeah, don't forget Project. That's the key part of the name. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so they're, they're very close. So I imagine that if Virtual Console was going to be out by summer, Nintendo would probably give Square Enix a heads up, and Square Enix would probably not be releasing ports of old games on a single cartridge. Like, you didn't see very much of that on the Wii or the Wii U. 
unless there's like a full collection of like eight or ten or twelve games because virtual console existed you can make more money selling the games that would join a virtual console um and it doesn't come off as weird as hey you can get these as a download or you get three of them on a cartridge but oh you since... don't think they'll have like one menu it's like oh pick your game and then it just like goes into a black screen and then it reboots into i guess whatever menu that game had oh i'm sure it's gonna do that but my point is um they wouldn't be releasing this if virtual console was going to be a thing anytime soon. Yeah. It just seems counterintuitive. So I think what this means is um, we're probably not going to be seeing virtual console till late summer at the earliest, like well after this, probably alongside the beta version of Nintendo's online service and app, which, which you know, did they promise. They kind of have to because, I mean, they promised the monthly yeah, virtual console games. And I know a lot of people are very, very iffy on that. Just because Very. they're not used to Nintendo charging for internet, like, at all. Yeah. If, if anything, that used to be a selling point. It's like, oh, like, PS4 and Xbox, you have to play it on monthly... No, yearly subscription. I mean, even though it's yearly and it's not that bad, I mean... It's 30 or less. Yeah, yeah. It, it's still... I mean, it has its it has its cost, but... Well, you know what I find funny about that? You make that good point. You that point about it used to be a selling point. I remember Reggie distinctly, distinctly saying things like... At Nintendo, we believe that when you buy the game, you're, you deserve the entire game. So whenever we release content, it's going to be free. And online is part of the game, so it's free. That was around 2000. That was between 2005, 2010-ish. Now, jump to now, and it's like, well, money. <laughs> so so that's, that's that. But, like that, infra- that infrastructure isn't free. No, it's not. And I mean, quite frankly, in order for Nintendo to do the things they want to do... But disagree all with the now voice chat. they're gonna chat. have the money to potentially make it better than Bingo. it was when it was free. Yeah, ignore the fact that voice chat may only be on the app. They do it. They they will. The question I mean, is to do it well. Yeah, and and they're already. I would debate they're already kind of fumbling with it. Just the fact that there isn't a messaging system already inside it. I mean, because well, it's gonna be on the app. That's I know. The well, whole... I hope when the app comes out that it also attaches it to the system because that's kind of ridiculous. But I agree. I agree. But and and the thing is like. You made the point that, you know, Nintendo infrastructure is a pay for itself. And it's kind of true. Like, Nintendo's whole argument is if you want the voice chat, even if it's in the app, if you want the messaging, if you want the ability to schedule matches with friends, we have to have a back end that does that. And that back end costs money. And as we talked about, I want to say a couple of, like the episode before the Switch came out, when I, all those leaked developer documents, they were talking about how Nintendo can handle matchmaking, Nintendo can handle server side saves and importing data from the server and whatnot for third parties. Like, all that costs money too. So we're paying for that. So I kind of get it. at the base level where it's just simple matchmaking with really rudimentary lobbies like Mario Kart DS had or Metroid Prime for uh, Metroid Prime Hunters. Sure, free makes sense. But now that they're doing the real stuff, like it is kind of a lot to ask Nintendo to do it for free. I, I get that. And and Virtual Console, I kind of understand why we don't have it yet either. Like Nintendo's really been emphasizing experiences that play up to the, the Switch's strengths. I mean, you got. Zelda being a portable game that you can play anywhere, even though it's also a console game. You've got ARMS using the Joy-Cons. You've got Snipper Clips and Mario Kart leveraging the whole built-in multiplayer idea, the fact that you have two controllers at any one time. Plus you've got like, people like Damon Baker, Nintendo's indie liaison, saying in multiple interviews and emphasizing over and over that the indies they're going after are the ones that have games that are good for on-the-go or games that are good for multiplayer. So while a lot of virtual console games could fit that category, like you know, you could throw Mario Kart 64 on there and sure it's good for multiplayer... Does it really make sense for them to make all rush all these emulators and whatnot? Portable. Yeah, but does it really make sense for them to rush all these emulators so quickly when probably two thirds of the virtual console library is single player and doesn't emphasize the idea of like oh a console experience on the go because Mario sixty four is so old it's been on the go on the DS I mean, it's I guess been they on could the go try it's to make it a point to release a bunch of multiplayer 
Virtual console games. But then people are going to go, where's my Donkey Kong Country? Where's my Mario World? Where's my this, that, next thing? This just seems to... Donkey circum- Kong Country has multiplayer? Ah, uh, sure, it has co-op. Bad example. Where's my... I was going to say Uniracers, but also it's co-op. No, where's co-op. my Earthbound? Where's my um, that has Final a, Fantasy That has an old school version of multiplayer where you just pass the controller every right. time you level but, up. But I could see Nintendo... I could kind of get why they don't have virtual console because they're really trying to emphasize current console experiences, new, like, interesting multiplayer, that sort of thing, and those games are just kind of like, yeah, but you could run those on a phone already. How's that sell your system? I think it'll be there for sure eventually, but I can see why Nintendo deprioritized it. Yeah, I mean, I'll give them that. It's kind of the same reason like they didn't have one to switch included in... Yeah. But the console, like, they're trying to build a specific image and get that. Which is funny because, like, yeah, one, two, switch feels like a game that's coming out a year from now. Feels like a game that's going for a casual market that's not there yet. Yeah. But but we'll see. I, I do hope with. Did it come out around the time that, like, the the Jackbox or whatever it's called? Well, that's coming out mid April, according to the European really? shop. In Europe, uh, that's good it's because be out I April feel 15th. like we already. Exhausted have exhausted one two switch. Yeah, we worked here with every single group, and we played sober. We played drinking. It's the same experience. I mean, it, I mean, it's really fun, but we need a break from it. Like at yeah. least a, a couple months to half a year. Yeah, but one more thought on Virtual Console, real quick. Um, I really hope Nintendo's nerd team does it. And I'm not just being mean. I mean, literally, they're called NERD. They're located in France. They were the ones that spearheaded the NES Classic Edition and that excellent emulation. And I really, 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 really hope that they're the ones doing emulation on Switch. Because Wii U had some weird stuff. Games were dark for no reason. They just didn't run as smooth in some cases. I this, never noticed any of that. But sure. If you look at side-by-side videos, you don't notice it until you see videos. And you're like, ooh, that's not as good as it could be. Um, like, don't you remember all those videos comparing how, like, Mario, uh, how, like, original Super Mario Bros ran on, like, the Wii emulator, the Wii U emulator, and the AS Classic? It looks you know so what? much better on the AS Classic. Yeah, yeah, but when I look at them by themselves, I guess I can Well, yeah, of course, them. by themselves. I mean, I guess it's no different than me telling you or talking about the last podcast, like, oh, look at Snake Pass yeah. on PS4 and the Switch. Yeah. If like, you never saw the PS4 version, you think the Switch version is perfect. Yeah. And actually, it does look really good, even on the, on just on, on handheld mode. I, want to right. keep, I was going to call it the gamepad, but... Well, we will we will have full impressions of that next episode, because it just came out. We haven't really had a chance to fully sink our teeth into it. I haven't even played it yet, but I have it. So stay tuned for that, everyone. A little tease. Um, I'm almost done with it. But yeah, okay, good for you. But, <laughs> no, but I, I do hope Nerds One's doing it for Virtual Console, because like, I'll be honest, like I get why Nintendo's delaying it, but it does kind of suck that like since 2006, Virtual Console's been a core component of every Nintendo system, and now it's not there. So I hope at least it's taking longer, because it's taking longer to get a really good emulation out of it. I'm hoping the rumors of uh, GameCube emulation turn out to be true, because I figured out an easy way that they could avoid the whole analog shoulder button situation. There are two shoulder buttons on the Switch. There is one on the GameCube. On the GameCube, you either press lightly or you press all the way. So just map them to L and ZL or R and ZR. You don't need to have it press all the way when you can just have the two functions be split into two buttons. Done. Piece of cake. So now all your games work. There you go. So so we'll see. We'll see. Um, but this is all a really big detour. We were talking third-party Switch games, and we went on this whole tangent about um, Virtual Console. But to reel us back in a bit, there is one more third-party Switch game on our list here unfortunately it's here for not the best of reasons and that is uh lego c undercover now to preface this a bit undercover is supposedly quite a good game you own it right that's cool like it, it's kind of like i mean it's fun right like it's like a uh, gta it's like a lego gta sort yeah, of yeah it's like a gta and lego game with the humor of the lego movie 
Um, or well, no, the Lego games more than Lego. Lego movie. games. Yeah, it's not as meta. Yeah, I mean, I liked it better. I mean, I've played some of the Lego games, but I just find them a little too monotonous to really get into them. And this one kind of has a little bit of that, but they do... The open world really helps, and they have more mission variety than just punch everything and it explodes and collect little bricks. Right, and one, and one nice thing... It's more exploration. This is cool. And one of the nice things about the uh, the Switch version is it fixes the load time issues that were probably the single biggest complaint I've ever heard about the Wii U original. There definitely were a ton of them. Oh my god, it was so long. <laughs> but yeah, so so that's what's... So it's like, like you better get used to that cop music. Oh yeah, doesn't it only play like a 10 second loop too? Of that cop, like... Or whatever it was for like, a, and it just loops it and loops it and loops it because the load times are literally like multiple minutes. Yeah, because like... I remember I played it once here with you, or tried to, and then gave up five minutes in because the loading was horrendous. But uh, yeah, so so the we the Switch version fixes all that. Probably gonna be a solid game. The problem is the box. So a redditor got hold of the box ahead of its April fourth release. By the time you're listening to this, it may already be out, depending on when you're listening. And uh, they discovered two unusual things on it. On the front, it randomly says, Internet Required. And then on the back is a note that says it requires up to 13 gigs for game download. Now, this triggered, as you can imagine, a flurry of angry online activity as people were understandably interpreting it to mean the full game isn't on the cartridge. You instead need to download the game once you pop in the cartridge. And this, in turn, led people to think this was an extension of the cartridge pricing debate that we talked about last episode, where uh, companies have to face this tough choice just as a refresher um, between charging more for their physical release or um, losing money. And that's simply because cartridge prices for a Switch game oh, are significantly more than Maybe they accidentally bought the biggest size cartridge and they're like, oh man, we did not need this big of a size. WB? Rhyme, whoever made Rhyme. Oh, Rhyme. And they're like, oh, well, let's just charge a little bit extra to make our money. Maybe back. that is why Rhyme costs $10 and, more on the Switch. And they're just too embarrassed <laughs> to admit it. Possibly. I doubt it. But possibly, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. So so there's that whole debate about the cartridge, and then that snowballed out of control for a few days, and then finally, after three separate PR statements, WB finally able was able to word it in a way that people understood, which is the entire game is playable on the cartridge. No download is required outside of normal patches. So all's all, all's well that ends well, but it does beg a few questions that I still have kind of lingering. I think um, the first is. What are you doing, Warner Brothers? How does this even show up on the box if it's meaningless? Clearly, at some point, they were planning to do this and then backed off, right? Like, Maybe, who, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Like, why say internet required if it's not? That's that's not a thing that's standard on a box. You have to actively tell your box art graphic designer, hey, put this on the bottom. It's not like it's like an ESRB thing where it's always there. You went out of your way to put it there, so there was meaning. Like, it's it's a problem because... People that don't keep up with your four different statements about what it means will go look at the game, see it says internet required, see it apparently needs 13 gigs a day, even though in reality the game's only 7.2 gigs big, and not buy it potentially because they're like, I don't have room on my Switch to download all that, or I don't want to buy an SD card. And you're losing sales by botching your own box for no real reason. It just seems weird. Like, they're missing... Casual shoppers will not yeah. know your multiple statements. And, and, yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah, the average person does not look at like go on the internet and no. look at these things, so they're still going to see the box and just be confused and yeah, and potentially not buy it. Yeah. And and the thing is, like, I'm sure a second run will fix this, but how do you get this? And how do you screw this up in the first run? Like, again, the only thing I could think of is at one point WB must have planned to actually pull this maneuver, this stunt, and then they backed off the idea before the cart centered production. 
I don't know. So that, that's question number one, but that does bring me to question number two. If WB was actually considering this, and Nintendo seemed to be cool with it, because they obviously do, like, approvals on these things, what is stopping any other company from actually falling through on this idea? I don't mean to make a mountain out of what ended up being barely a molehill, but just to piggyback on last episode's conversation about cartridge prices, just as a reminder, they range in size from 1 gig to 16 gigs, the cartridges that Nintendo provides to developers, and it's up to the developer to pick the best one for their product based on a mix of cost, uh, capacity, production quantity of, of the cartridges, Wait, the et cetera. Gigs that they get to pick from? Uh, 16. 16. That's like 16? No, that's wrong. It's sixty four. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, I, I no mean, it's 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 sixty four. Or yeah, like then, I think sixty four. Sixty four. Yeah, sixty four. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Or maybe it's one twenty. I don't know. It's I typoed my my mistake on my notes here. Um, what was I gonna say? But yeah, so they make it the decision based on a variety of factors. And if Nintendo's allowing for a mandatory download to exist to play a game that you buy in a cartridge, as evident by the fact that the box for Lego City literally says you need an internet connection and you need gigs to download your game. Um, what's stopping other publishers from actually pulling the stunt to save on cartridge prices? Like your point about, well, what if the developers of Rhyme accidentally bought too big of a cartridge? What if Ubisoft decides, you know what, for the next Just Dance, why don't we just put half of it on the cartridge and half of it as a download and then just put out a four-gig cartridge and save they, money? Following the logic of the box, I mean, before WB put out a statement, Yet to have downloaded 13 gigs out of the 7 from the game or something like that. Yeah, so the game's only 7, so I don't even know what that 13 is. Oh, no, the, game, no, no, the, no, the game's like 20 gigs or something. No, the, like the, on the eShop, it's supposedly 7 to download the game. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure it was 20. Are you sure? Yeah. Maybe not. you're right. Yeah, Man, sure. all these numbers are confusing. We'll go with your yeah. 20, sure. What was your point you are going to make? Um, I forgot. Oh. Thanks. Sorry. Well, if you think of it, just interrupt me. But uh, but yeah, my, my main thing is like, what what is stopping other companies from doing it? It's like, those who are buying physical games are probably buying them in part to save system memory or save SD card space or save buying an SD card. And now they're stuck filling up their system memory SD card with this memory anyway. So they're losing their biggest perk of a physical release. And then on top of that, they may be getting charged the so-called cartridge tax because they're buying the Switch version's physical release opposed to a disc version. And they're ending up losing the same amount of data space that they're losing anyway. Like, it's, a, it's obviously a lot of what-ifs. But if things go down this road, it won't help the Switch's already existing reputation of being a machine with a lot of hidden expenses. Because not only do you have the higher-end uh, pricing on the game... But you also now may need to buy an SD card even though you bought the physical game. If, you know, let's say EA does this for FIFA or if Ubisoft does this for Steep or whatever. Like, it it just seems like it becomes very messy very fast. And again, there's no direct indication this is going to happen. I don't mean to be like an alarmist by, saying, by say, suggesting it. It just seems like there's a future where this scenario could play out because WB came within, like, inches of successfully doing it like they had it all lined up nintendo gave it the go-ahead so or gave the box at least the go-ahead so i don't know i mean hopefully nintendo doesn't let it happen especially since they're being extremely receptive to third-party uh requests as of late so if developers like truly feel there's a cartridge pricing problem if they truly don't want to have to buy these bigger cartridges because they need to cut costs and a lot of this weird download scheme maybe nintendo can actually address it and actually say you know what we'll subsidize or we'll lower the cost of cartridges or something because I'm, I'm actually surprised by how much Nintendo's been accounting huh. developers. So, or, or I guess I... Oh, so, no, no, no. Well, I guess I just... Yeah, you looked up the size. Yeah, I looked up the yeah. size. So, it's listed on the eShop as 7 gigs, so mm-hmm. you were right. But on the Wii U, it was 20 gigs. Oh, well, they can compress it. Yeah, so... 
Yeah, they compressed it. Probably helps with the load times too. Hopefully. But but yeah, the, the point I was starting to make about, which I actually find is kind of interesting, so Nintendo has been way more accommodating towards developers than they've been in the last while. Like, did you did you hear this story that came out recently? So apparently the Switch was only supposed to have uh, something like 3 gigs of RAM, or less RAM than it does oh, yeah. now. And then Capcom went to Nintendo and said, hey guys, can you bump it up to 4 gigs? We're trying to fit the Resident Evil engine on... Obviously, it'll have to be optimized. We're trying to fit on Switch. We need more RAM. And surprisingly, Nintendo's like, sure. And they put more RAM in the Switch. So the reason the Switch has and much RAM as it does... Yeah, and they're like, we're not doing it anyway. They say they're still working on it. So, take that as you will. But, uh, yeah, surprisingly, Nintendo obliged. So my thinking is... And Nintendo's willing to oblige about RAM, which is a major expense on their part, then they should be able to take a hit on cartridges if enough publishers say so. And even if Nintendo's indifferent towards it, even if Nintendo doesn't want to do it, I'm pretty sure retailers are going to lobby publishers to not do the partial download thing because that's going to hurt physical sales, like in-store sales. And I mean, if you look at GameStop, you can see that's already a problem. They're going to want to hold on to every physical sale they can get because GameStop uh, last week admitted that during the 2016 holiday season... Their software, in-store software sales dropped 19%. For all of 2016, they dropped 14%. That's bad. That's bad enough that they're closing 150 stores. Those poor employees. I know. They're actually pivoting towards having more collectibles in the store and fewer games that specifically is, to address yeah, this. Yeah, it's definitely noticeable. Yeah. So, I kind of appreciate it. You know, it's cool as, as a I game. Mean, I did as, get coasters. The other oh, yeah, day. you have awesome 8-bit Mario coasters. But, yeah, no, it makes sense for GameStop. It's cool for fans of games. But collectibles do not have as high of margins as games themselves because they are cheaper I- items to begin with. And they take up more space because they're yeah, just big, weird, clunky I mean, boxes for swords and whatnot. Oh yeah, and they are adding more expensive collectibles, like yeah, higher but, end, and those won't, But those won't sell on as... No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, those are not, way more niche. Like, you have to... I mean, I know Star Wars fans who wouldn't buy anything, like, over 50 bucks, like, for yeah. a figure. But like, the hardcore ones, I mean, they exist. They're out there. But, but yeah, they're but, outliers, so... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And because of all that, like, if Nintendo's not going to pull the trigger on fixing the cartridge situation and helping developers not have to do the whole, like, partial download thing, retailers got to push really hard. They're going to be like, well, if you want us to carry the game, you got to put the whole game on there or something like that because they need, they need the money. They need the sales. So it would be in GameStop's best interest to get publishers to back off the partial download um, if it becomes a real thing. So we're just going to have to see how it goes. Again, I don't mean to make a mountain out of a molehill, but... It raised some red. It raised some flag, some red flags to me when WB came so close to pulling it off, even if they claimed they weren't going to. Um, now, on the flip side of all this, something that will surely keep retailers happy is special editions of games. That's something that does quite well. Yeah. That's something that can only be physical. And Nintendo announced just the other day that they're doing another one, another special edition. This time for Fire Emblem Echoes: uh, Shadows of Valentia. So before we even talk about it, fair warning to those who are interested, it is currently sold out everywhere, at least as of this episode's recording. Uh, but if you do find a way to get it somehow, you're actually in for a pretty cool little bundle. You get a copy of the game, a hardcover art book, which Nintendo doesn't often do, a sound selection CD of game music, a reversed sleeve that uses the art from the Famicom original, because remember this is a remake of 1992 Famicom uh, Fire Emblem, and coolest of all, a three-pin set of Echoes, uh, Aim and Celeste. Wow, I can't talk. Celisa, and uh, plus good old Marth. So you get Aim, Celisa, and Marth. All only sixty bucks. That's only twenty dollars more than the standard edition, which is one of the. I feel like this is one of the better deals Nintendo's done in terms of um, special editions. 
And honestly, I'm kind of bummed that I missed out on getting the chance to get it. It was sold out before I got a chance to do anything. And uh, I really feel like it popped up once or twice after. So it was on Amazon, and I missed it. And I was on Best Buy, and I was asleep. And I was Aww. like, well, that's that. Now, to be honest, uh, I think... Whole the Jason. I know. To be honest, I think the box art of the special edition is kind of bleh. It's literally just giant art of Eamon Salisa. But the contents are nice, and those pins are really slick looking. Uh, so perhaps there'll be a second chance I can jump onto. That's what I'm hoping, at least. Because these days, that seems to kind of be Nintendo's MO. Like, they'll release a product in a limited quantity, then trickle out these additional waves of the product sometime after launch. Uh, they just did it this past Thursday, actually, with Breath of the Wild's Master Edition. Remember how Breath of the Wild's Master Edition was going to be a one-run-only thing? Well, on Thursday, suddenly, it popped back up on GameStop's website with an April 5th release. So, so much for one run. And we've seen them do like this... One run. Huh? <laughs> doesn't sound like yeah, exactly. Run. And we've seen them do the same thing with the NES Classic where they released it in waves. Back when Amiibo were in their prime, they did waves for that as well, and they would do restocks in waves. Uh, we are kind of seeing it going on with the Switch where they're timing certain groupings of Switch inventory going out. It seems like Nintendo's into this new thing of doing bursts of inventory. And, uh, you know, they time the bursts around each other rather strategically. So, for example, if you want to buy a Switch, they're in stores this you know, they've started popping up in stores these last few days, which is coincidentally when suddenly the special edition of Zelda popped back up in stores and the master edition became available for pre-order again. So they are being strategic with this. Um, so from their, from, from like the Nintendo angle, it seems like a smart strategy to me, but it also kind of makes it hard to not believe that Nintendo's manipulating inventory levels at some level. Like a lot of people who maybe haven't been able to score these items understandably feel like Nintendo's creating artificial shortages Sort of like they did in the early Wii days, or that's at least the impression a lot of people had. Amiibo? And this, and that's an amiibo, but a Wii days is what I would yeah, say. Yeah. But, but yeah, that that's upsetting people. In fact, one of our longtime listeners, uh, Johnny P, emailed us with this exact thought a few days ago, and he raised a good point. Like, no matter there are situations where no matter what store you go to, you can't find what you're looking for because Nintendo's doing this weird like pattern of bursts of releases and not just sending things as they can. It, they're they're making it a marketing event as much as they're making it an inventory or like an in stock situation. So, I mean, he actually made a really good point where NOA is the only Nintendo that does not have an online store. You cannot buy directly from them in Japan and Europe. You can. So, if you don't want to go on these weird hunts to twelve different stores like Johnny P did, you can just go to Nintendo's website, go there when they have it, order it, pre-order it, and you're fine. In America, the best you can do is go to Amazon or something and pre-order it there. But as we learned, Amazon is not reliable. Best Buy is not necessarily reliable. Breath of the Wild Master Edition. Amazon took double the number of pre-orders they were supposed to and had to cancel half of them. You don't have a Master Edition. Earl Elvis doesn't have a Master Edition because it was on my account and mine got canceled because I was one of the too many pre-orders that accidentally happened. They literally – they had something like 1,500. This is speculation – or not speculation. And we canceled our GameStop one because we trusted Amazon. Right, we trusted you. I'm so, right. so that's the thing. Is we're, that, we're, we're, we we've moved on. It's actually it ended up being a blessing in disguise. But to be honest, I have no idea where to put that sword. It looks really cool. Oh, yeah, Master Edition sword, but I have no idea where to put it. Oh, yeah, and I've just, had the game yeah, for a month. Is, that thing is so big. It's huge. I didn't expect it to be that big. Yeah. Like when I went to Best Buy at midnight to pick up the Switch, and I was like, "Oh, and I have a Master Edition Zelda." They're like, "Oh, okay." And then he like disappeared behind the counter and came out with a box that was half the size of his body. I'm like. What? I thought it was like a little. I thought it was gonna be like a little. You know, oh, yeah, like it's huge. And one considering foot tall. It was still... Or not one foot, like half a foot tall. And considering we're still waiting on two two more quarter-scale 1990 movie Ninja Turtles. 
and you know as you do and as, three as we all wait and, and three more one six scale comic book giant turtles like that's yeah we need all the space we can get yeah so it did work out for you but my point is like in europe and japan to giant t giant piece credit in europe and japan you could just go order these things on Nintendo's website and they ship them when they're ready and you're guaranteed it here even if you shop online you still have to go through the same hoops and scavenger hunt because you can't even get a guarantee that amazon's gonna give you what you want as we learned so i don't know one way or another if nintendo's actually intentionally creating stock shortages i think it could just as easily be explained by they are a very conservative japanese company making very conservative choices about their products and how many they make and they'd rather have shortages than overproduce and not know what to do with them they don't want another animal crossing amiibo situation where they got screwed and there's still surpluses of inventory from the first wave of the animal crossing amiibo so i i think that could be what nintendo's doing but i could also completely see how nintendo could uh people could be interpreting Nintendo as manipulating inventory specifically for marketing purposes. Because the bursts that they do are definitely that. So it's not that hard to extrapolate one step further and say, well, they're purposely just holding back in general, opposed to, to specific weeks or whatever. Mm. So, I don't know. I mean, what's well, your take on it? Do you, do, do you feel, going back to the Wii days up till now, does it feel like Nintendo has a pattern of purposely doing this or is it just kind of like weird circumstantial? I mean, back then, no. I mean, now I I mean, I guess I could I, I could just see where it's coming from because it's been, I guess, consistent to the point where it's like, okay, you know, there's gonna be a demand. Like, just yeah, make a few more. But I mean, kind of with the NES Classic Edition, I think it was up for almost an hour the last time it was up, and I oh, the, to, uh, on on Best Buy, right? Yeah, on and, Wednesday yeah, the twenty eighth or whatever. Yeah. And I was able to help a coworker that's been wanting one since it came out last year get one. But yeah, then it's gone, and now it's just back to. I thought that was going to be it. Like, I think like 30 minutes later, I'm like, oh, wow, it's still up, I guess. Yeah, because demand yeah. subsided finally. But, yeah, but then um, they still sold out. Yeah, so, yeah, I feel like in the Wii days, it almost, the whole, like, conservative Nintendo argument almost holds a little more water than now, where it's like every single thing they release runs into this issue, practically. Or maybe except, Amiibo except, just conditioned us to well, think everything's like except this. Except the games. That's the one thing you can always count on them, like, overstocking just the games. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to worry about Zelda, like, you don't have to worry about standard edition Zelda, special yeah, well, and mastered. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, yeah. well, yeah, yeah. Just like I'm not, I'm like not too just con- games, right? Like I'm not too concerned that I won't be able to pick up Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on launch console, day. though. Yeah, like yeah, you, Joy Cons. <laughs> well, well, not, if you need a not, gray Joy Con, yeah. they're everywhere. If you need neon ones, good luck. It's funny. That's like this is the thing. Like, oh, people. I have a friend that yeah, like he bought the game. Now, well, actually, no, yeah, then that makes perfect sense because. If it's the friend I, I'm thinking of, he's also my friend, coincidentally. Yeah, no, I think he only bought the game because um, Best Buy and Amazon do their thing where you get the game for 20% off, but it's only applicable until a few weeks after yeah, the game is already released. Yeah, three weeks. Yeah, so that makes perfect sense. At least Amazon is. Best Buy, it's whenever. But no. you get the 20% off as long as you have Gamers Club, but Amazon's prime perk is no, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. three weeks. Yeah. yeah, and at that point, but, yeah. But yeah, it's uh, in a case of that, Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. But yeah, yeah, like something like that makes sense, totally. Um, all right, back to Fire Emblem. I had a point I was going to make by complete blank out. So we'll just go back to Fire Emblem because this all started with Fire Emblem. And beyond the special edition, Nintendo made other announcements about Fire Emblem actually relating to Amiibo. So it's kind of funny that we were talking about Amiibo for a minute there. Um, to be honest, it's some of the better Amiibo usage of late in Fire Emblem. Actually, no, I take that back. I take that back. Breath of the Wild may have been the best use of Amiibo in a long time. And the reason I say that is because... It had the best payoff for anyone that's been collecting Amiibo since day one. Like, every single Zelda-related Amiibo 
all of them grant you something different. It could be from the Smash series. It could be from the 30th Anniversary series. It can be any Zelda amiibo that was... It could be the Wolf... Uh, the Twilight Princess Wolf Link. Any amiibo that has a Zelda-related character gives you something entirely unique and different. So it's kind of a clever way for Nintendo to both reward longtime collectors by being like, oh, you spent all this time just collecting because you're a fan. Now we're giving you a reward in our biggest game of the year. And it encourages people who haven't started collecting at all to now start collecting because who knows what game will be using interesting amiibo you wouldn't expect next. Like it's kind of a, it's sort of like a three-year-long con. Except it's not really a con, but it's <laughs> not, you know, it's not really a con, but I can't think of it. Yeah, it's a three-year-long payoff. And I actually think it's super clever of Nintendo. Like, I, I gotta give him credit. That was kind of neat. And Fire Emblem Echoes does something kind of similar with this new Illusionary Hero feature that it's going to have. So any Fire Emblem amiibo you tap from Smash Bros. series, from the upcoming ones that work with, you know, work, work with the game. Actually, I guess just Smash Bros. series. There's no other Fire Emblem amiibo. But any Fire Emblem amiibo character you tap uh, will summon that character for a single turn to assist you in the game. So if you're playing like in hardcore mode and you're worried your character's about to die, you can just Tap Lucina, and there she is to lend you a hand for a round. And Nintendo also confirmed that Corrin's upcoming amiibo will also be supported, which means... Oh, you mean they haven't forgotten about Which that means, one? yes, it's still alive, and it's still going to see the light of day at some point. Just a matter of when. Uh, interestingly, non-Fire Emblem amiibo will also do a similar thing, but they're not illusionary heroes. Instead, they summon a beast or a monster that lasts one turn. So, not quite as cool, but still somewhat useful. Um... Of course, there's also the Aim and Selisa amiibo themselves, which are launching alongside the game. 25 bucks for the two of them. And given that they're made just for the game, they get something a little more than the Illusionary Heroes. They actually get full-fledged exclusive dungeon unlo- unlocking. Um, and in battle, they can trigger... They, they sort of trigger like a... It's basically the Illusionary Hero without an Illusionary Hero. So if you scan them in, in battle, you can take away some of your health to create a computer-controlled Illusionary Hero. Which okay. is only slightly different from when you scan in your amiibo of other characters and get a illusionary hero. But this one just, you don't have to, I guess those you don't have to sacrifice your health and, health and these they do to kind of make it more balanced. But either way, the other thing they do is they also let you save your stats to your amiibo. So um, your stats for Aim and Salisa. So throughout the game, you can boost their abilities just by continuing to use them. Which means that in a weird way, these two amiibo have some sort of, so kind of becomes like all one hybrid of like the Smash Bros. stat training of Amiibo, the plastic paywall for exclusive Amiibo content with, uh, you know, the dungeon unlock, and the idea of assisting players that we saw with Amiibo used in like Yoshi's Woolly World, like the Yarn Yoshis and all that, or Poochie. So basically, it's every Amiibo idea finally integrated into one actual figure. It's kind of like a more well-rounded integration that we've seen from Nintendo in the past, which is nice. Like between this and Zelda, I think... It's kind of funny that as Mebo dies down, as the Toys for Life trend dies down, the usefulness of these things has actually started going up. Like Nintendo's pledged for a while that they are going to make Amiibo a better value proposition, not for collecting, but for gaming. I don't know if this is the end goal. I'm hoping it's not because this doesn't feel like quite enough, but it is kind of funny that three years in, they're finally like, oh, hey, you know, what if we actually like made them useful? And like combine them all to like combine every idea we've had into one for Fire Emblem, or make it so every single of the eight Zelda amiibo you have actually can do something for you different and give you different things. Like the only way you can get Pona in Twilight Princess, I believe, or not Twilight Princess in Breath of the Wild, I believe, is by scanning the correct amiibo. So like little things like that, it's kind of cool. Um, I mean, but how's that very different from Mario Kart? That's not. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, think I mean, it's I mean, well, I think it's different because Mario Kart all it did was be like 
you have a different outfit. But these actually affect gameplay in more meaningful ways. Because in Zelda, it gives you either items or stats or Impona or new outfits or something like that. That The new outfits affect your stats because they have different properties. In Mario Kart, it's literally just a paint job. In Fire Emblem, they bring on illusionary heroes that have different skills and different abilities and different... And you might want to use a more defensive character or a more offensive character. And they also... The dungeon unlock, I, I'll give you, isn't a whole lot. The... Um, the Yeah, that, that's just the paywall we've seen before with other games. But I think they're going one step further than just cosmetic, finally. Hmm. I got yeah. an email. You did? I did. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited. But yeah, so that that's kind of my take on it, at least. I mean, you're welcome to this. If you don't, like, it might not feel that significant to other people. I, I just looked at this and then looked back at me and I was like, wow, they actually are like... It's not a huge leap, but they sort of made some headway three years in, finally. Oh. I don't know. What, what's your take? You obviously seem to think otherwise. It feels a little different to me than Mario Kart. Really? Yeah. I mean, the stats that the that the clothing gives you from the amiibo don't feel significant. Wait, in Mario Kart? No, in um, in Breath of the Wild. Like the sure. enhancement, yeah, like whatsoever. Because I mean, but what about things like the getting certain items or getting a Pona or getting spoiler or getting that's still all essentially cosmetic in your opinion? Yeah. Well, a Pona, it, sure, because a horse is a horse, of course. A horse of is course. a horse. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so I mean, sorry I did that. I said horse is a horse, of course. Wow. I, we should just cut well, the podcast right. now. Because no. at that point, like, yeah, the horse, I mean, you could just think of it as a cosmetic change for any other horse. Sure, but I guess there's and a then, nostalgia of it. Well, yeah. But that's no different than Mario Kart. You're right at that point. And, um, and the items they give you, I mean, the game gives you plenty of opportunity to get items. It's just a shortcut. I mean, I've already beaten the game twice at this point, and I went back and completed even more dungeons, and I don't know, it didn't feel like it improved the gameplay whatsoever at that point. It was, it, it literally just felt like the Mario Kart Amiibo was just like, you know what, I want to try to get Twi- like Twilight Princess Link from the the Smash Bros. Amiibo. Right. So, but instead of just getting it, like you do in, I guess just getting the thing like you do in Mario Kart, I have to scan it and be like, oh, it's another useless sword. Oh, it's another useless... But you have to sword. build it by piecemeal. Yeah, and oh, and and, and and it's randomized, so you don't get it every oh, day. Wait. So you what? have to, so you have so you have to scan it. Like oh, I thought, cool, each amiibo got... gave you something different. They randomize it between them. Yeah. So are you sure? Yeah. But there's a chart. I saw a chart. I know. Like I've been trying to get the. That's I, dumb. I, I I don't want to <laughs> advance the clock by a day to get the to try to cheat it or just like save it and then reload the save if I don't get what I want. I'm just gonna just be patient just wait every day but it's taken me since the game came out and i've only gotten um the hat from wind waker and the trousers from wind waker today Mm -hmm. i got the trousers today and i got the hat like last week but i still haven't gotten the the tunic and i've only gotten one thing from the twilight prince of me when i scan the amiibo every single day and yeah sometimes you just get a stone sometimes you get a random sword and Usually by this point they're all re- they're all weaker than the stuff I have on my that I have on me, so if anything it's kind of annoying. It's like just give me the the clothing. I bought the amiibo. That'll give me useless items. I didn't realize. See, I thought you. I knew you got like like take two. No, yeah, no, yeah, I knew you got a different piece of clothing and fish, but I didn't think you got. No, you. I, I didn't think it was either or. I thought it was and. No, it's the, either or. You you get. The the rate and and they're the bit rarity. So pretty much, there's common items you can get from the treasure chest, like like the Wind Waker one, for instance. There's like a a not Wind Waker boomerang, but there's also the actual Wind Waker boomerang in there. 
but the odds of getting the actual Wind Waker boomerang are obviously much lower than getting the non Wind Waker boomerang. So wait, you're not guaranteed. Okay, so I'm looking at a chart right now. So you're not guaranteed anything. So like, cause I'm seeing here, like obviously I figured, okay, Epona, let's go with Toon Link. Opponent Toon- for some reason always comes out. Like you're guaranteed to get that one the first time you scan the Twilight Princess Amiibo, but right. after that, it, it's just luck. Whatever you get after that. That's so dumb. Okay, let me back up my entire <laughs> point. Uh, but I mean, Fire Emblem the is doing it cool. right. Like, like, I mean, that's I mean, as a cosmetic thing, like they are cool. Like, oh, yeah. I played Twilight Princess Link looks weird, and maybe that's why they didn't give them that that nightcap to play in the game the whole time. Man, as 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 I'm learning more about this. Okay, I don't think Twilight Princess is, or sorry, Breath of the Wild is the best. I mean, they give you everything anymore. to scan them every day, so you are definitely using them. I should have just stuck strictly with Fire Emblem when I was talking about this because I still think and Echoes... I, and, and I guess if you're like, oh, I need some food, but I'm too lazy to travel somewhere. Yeah, you can drop, you can have it rain meat or yeah. fish, so, yeah, I mean, which is kind of funny. But okay, let me backpedal a little here. I mean, I guess it does feel like... I mean, today when I got the Trousers of the Wind, um, I was like, yes, I got them. So there was some satisfaction from it, but I feel like... But it's sad that there was. But it's kind of annoying that it took me two weeks to get my second piece from that outfit. That's so stupid. Okay. I retract what I said about Breath of the Wild <laughs> now that I better understand. Because I just read, like, the opponent thing, and I'm like, oh, you just get it. And I saw the term, I'm like, oh, you just get it. I wish yeah. it was just, like, every time you scan it, like, I don't mind if it's random. Like, okay, f- today I got the cap. Tomorrow I get, like, the boomerang and then the trousers. But, like, as long as each every time I scan it, I'm getting a new key item instead of the random broadsword or the random knight sword or the random knight's bow that you can already find in the game in droves. What they should have done... Is you get the the key the special item first, and then when yeah. you rescan them multiple times, they then just give yeah, you yeah. Like once you've exhausted all the other stuff, like just treat them like the any That's other. That's so Nintendo. Come on. Okay. Well, Fire Emblem, I still feel like is actually doing amiibo right because they are combining pretty much every other type of amiibo thing. Like I was saying before, I mean you've got yeah, I mean as far you've got as... the cosmetic thing a bit by picking your favorite character, but they actually have stats that matter. They are implemented in a way where it actually affects gameplay in a meaningful way. The it cool- can act as assist. You get dungeon unlocks, which are the paywall, which we all hate. Yeah. But they have every aspect of it mean, the- done correctly in there. Yeah, least. the nice thing is that, um, like I said, like they do, the outfits do have some stats, but they're not. I wouldn't really say they're noteworthy. Right. But the outfits you can find in game that have nostalgic purposes, like those, actually have stats that do matter. So at least it's not like the cool things are hidden behind the paywall. Sure. Right. But- right. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, like, Fire Emblem and Smash Brothers are the only ones that have done Amiibo that I really like. Like, yeah. I really like the the training, the Smash Brothers, because it's like oh, yeah, yeah. Pokemon. But. And I do like that uh, uh, Echoes sort of picks that back up, because you scan AIM, you scan Salisa. Am I saying? Yeah, I am saying that right, Salisa. Sure. And, um, you know, you scan them, you use them, and they could save the progress back to them. So as you go through the game, they grow with you and get new abilities and whatnot. So that, that kind of is like the Fire, Emblem, Fire Emblemfication of the Smash training, I think. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, I think... I think okay, so Even Zelda- Woolly World was cool. I mean, even though it was just like a... I mean, it's just like the Mario Kart one. I think yeah. that one is like... It, literally every amiibo worked except the Pokemon one for some reason. Yeah, and and that was co- and that was mostly cosmetic. But then they had Poochie that actually was a gameplay assist if yeah. you need it. Which is what Wolf Link is in... But, so I guess... Yeah, Wolf Link is... Regardless I, I of the... kind of sh- cool but, because like, yeah. there isn't anything like that in the game. They do have wolves in there and you're like, oh, I mean, the programming's in there. I should be able to... Like train one, yeah, of but those wolves but, don't yeah. have the earring, so they're not. Yeah. You need that earring, but uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, so I guess Zelda maybe isn't the best one, but I think the idea is moving in the right direction with Amiibo, which is Nintendo realizing you need a more well-rounded. I mean, you use can get cool items, but it's kind of an only it's just random. Because yeah, to me, even with Zelda, even with the stupid randomization, which I didn't realize was quite that severe, you still have more from that Amiibo than just strictly 
he's a different color now, or I'm wearing a helmet that looks like Day Kong's face, or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, there's <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, a lot no, more no, to yeah, yeah, yeah. They're I, moving in a good direction. Right, it's cool. Like, and Fire Emblem, I, I, I guess, I, just, yeah. I, I do appreciate those costumes, but I mean, at the end of the day, they're still just textures yeah. off. Like, no, not that. They could be fair. meaningless to someone that didn't play those games. Well, of course, yeah. yeah but right. but if you're someone that didn't play those games, why would you be buying their Amiibo? I don't know, for the Smash Bros. If you're a kid, did you Oh, oh, oh yeah, that. Anyway? I'm talking about, like, the um, like the third anniversary Zeldas, for example. Because th- those are the ones I feel like give you the better stuff. But anyway, regardless, Fire Emblem. This is also to be about Fire Emblem. Um, I, I'm pretty excited for Fire Emblem itself, now that we've gone to Awesome Amiibo, Hubba Blue. Um, even with Switch as, like, the new hotness, I think Echoes is going to do pretty well for itself because it has been pushing it pretty heavily, you know, not just with the Amiibo... But also with Fire Emblem Heroes as like the gateway drug for new players to get into Echoes. And yes, I really did just make us go back to talk about Fire Emblem Echoes specifically to make a transition so I can now talk about Fire Emblem Heroes. So yeah, that exact the last 90 seconds were specifically so I could bring up Fire Emblem Heroes because I couldn't just say now to Fire Emblem Heroes. I had to do a whole rigmarole. Well, hop to it then. I will. That pun makes zero sense. There's no rabbits here. Yeah, bunny costumes. Oh, that was good. I didn't pick up on that. So, okay, yeah, Fire Emblem Heroes. Um, wow. Wow. It even says on your agenda thing, bunny comes costume. with bunny costumes. Well, that's the that's the, that's the the uh, article from, I think, Kotaku that I linked to. Which, by the way, if you guys need more information in any news or games discussed in this episode, we link to all of them at com blog post for episode 147. With that said, yeah, Fire Emblem Heroes. So, um, Nintendo's doing a good job lately with... Fire Emblem Heroes, and with mobile in general, in that they're cultivating the audience they have there, which in theory, at least in the case of Heroes going into Fire Emblem Echoes, could mean that they are able to bring Echoes to a bigger audience than they've ever had with Fire Emblem before, because they have all these people on iOS playing Heroes, and they're doing events regularly to get them involved, the biggest of which are the bunny costumes. Uh, So they launched a new spring festival, just went live, and from now till mid-April, you can get Krom, Lucina, Xander, and Camilla all in wacky bunny costumes that look ridiculous. Like Playboy House. Yeah, Camilla in particular looks like she came out of Playboy. Uh, there's a new story scenario for you to play with the bunny costumes. There's individual weapons that are different for each bonafide uh, emblemite. And yeah, it's 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 kind of... It's kind of funny to see. I mean, it mirrors what a lot of mobile games are doing, which is this idea... Um, of having regular events where you are encouraged, even if you have just somewhat of a passing interest in the game, it's enough to get you back in. I mean, most notably for Nintendo fans, Pokemon Go has really been stepping this up lately, I feel like. Uh, it's had regular events for a while now, but the the frequency of them is going up, and they're doing different things besides just like, now look for Ditto. Like they just did, for example, just ended the Water Festival, um, where Niantic basically made all the water types super common no matter where you were, and then kind of scattered throughout them shiny magic carps. And if you got a shiny magic card, you could evolve into a shiny Gyarados, just like in the old game, the red Gyarados. But it's did just you like, find one? I did not. Were you trying to find one? I was. But I did get a Lapras, which is all kind of rare. So yeah, the way they... Um, the, so, the, so here's what happened with Pokemon Go. So first of all, this is probably the best example, at least on a per, like personal anecdote, of how I, as everyone that listens to the show knows, am into Pokemon Go. But when there's no special event, I have barely a passing interest in it. But as soon as there's a special event, I'm totally hooked for another little while until the event ends. Which is why I think Fire Emblem Heroes, for example, is going to really help with Fire Emblem Echoes. Because if they do events like Spring, um, you know, like the Spring Festival with the bunny costumes, and then they do something again closer to Echoes launch, like an Echoes-themed event, you can siphon people into 
echoes the same way that pokemon go felt like siphoned people with the halo effect into normal pokemon games echoes could do the same here could do the same for echoes anyway pokemon go yeah so i got really back into it with uh the water festival and how it worked is there are water pokemon everywhere but lapras lapras is a hard one to find if you're lucky you can find lapras they're a rare size of lapras i mean obviously more so than non-water festival days but rare size so one day my boss and I at work, who he is also into Pokemon Go, decided, actually it was the last day, and we're like, you know what? We need to get a Lapras. We have to get a Lapras. Whoa. There's no other chance to get a Lapras. So we work near the beach conveniently. Our office is about five-minute drive from the beach. So we went down to the beach, drove around. No luck. Drove around some more. No luck. We were out for about an hour. You could kind of have a busy day at work. Uh, we were out for about an hour, and we're walking. Like, we parked the car, walking around looking, nothing and then suddenly Lapras pops up on our trackers, and it's like probably a five minute drive away. What? And I kid you not, we were not near. We were like at, the car was on top of a hill, or was like up a hill. We were down by the beach. We, I don't want to say sprinted, so I'm just gonna say power walked to the car as soon as we saw Lapras. Like we're like, this is it. This is the chance. This is the chance. And we were like very briskly. We were running full speed to to the car got in the car went to go get lapras gets to the location says the pokemon fled we get we're like what no but we just ran up a hill to a car to drive here to get a lapras that we should have been at work but it's been an hour looking for very disappointing and then as we're pulling away as we're giving up lapras appears and we catch it and it, and then to make it even better like we get to the office's parking lot and as we're walking in there's a pidgey and it turns out to be a ditto so I got a Lapras and a Ditto, and my life is complete, and I have no reason to go on. So this is my farewell to all of you. No, I'm kidding. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, was, it was quite a day. So my point of telling all this, two weeks ago, if you asked me if I'd do anything like that for Pokemon Go anymore, I'd say, no, you're crazy. Then the Water Festival happened, and that is suddenly back in. So if I have this interest in Pokemon Go, there's someone out there who has this interest in Fire Emblem. This sort of like fluctuating when stuff is going on, I'm super into it. When it's not, I'm not. And there's someone out there who has it for Mario Run. And there's someone out there, maybe, who has it for Mitomo. And all these events that they're doing really capitalize on that. And if Nintendo plays their cards right with all these things, this will be exactly the sort of Halo effect they're hoping to have that they've seen in the past Pokemon Go for every franchise they do this for. If they do this for Animal Crossing, it could be huge. The fact that they're able to take someone like me and get me so back into it that I was basically in the mindset of when the game first came out. Like, I was that obsessed with really? it for, like, a week. Wow. Yeah, like, every time we would leave the office, we'd both be on our phones looking for water types. Because we were like, oh, we gotta get Lapras. Like, why? Well, there's crazy Pokemon. We gotta get them. It was... It, it was, The fact that, like, it regressed that much off a simple promotion, it's easy money for Nintendo. So, even, even if, like, they don't play the cards quite right and they don't get all these people who are the super into it all the time to move to the console versions they're still making money off the players they're still making money from every orb sold in heroes for example and Nintendo has outright admitted that of the three mobile games they have mario run heroes and mitomo keep in mind niantic makes pokemon go with pokemon company doesn't really count but of mario run heroes and niantic they've outright said that heroes is currently the cash cow fire emblem heroes is the one making the most money uh japanese newspaper nikkei actually reported um in an article where they interviewed Nintendo's president, Tatsumi Kimishima, they straight up reported that Heroes is the moneymaker. Mario Maker is not the moneymaker. Heroes is. Mimi Tomo. You mean Mario Run? Oh, yeah, Mario Run. Sorry. <laughs> Mario, yeah. Maker. Mario Maker is a moneymaker because you buy it at full price. But um, it's on two platforms now. 
But yeah, Mario Run is not the money maker. It's all heroes. Mitomo, its first anniversary was um, it a run for was money? on uh, was on the thirtieth. So woo, happy anniversary, Mitomo. But yeah, t- you know what's interesting is Kim- Kimishima went on to say in that article that uh, or no, I don't think it was Kimishima. I think it was a Nintendo rep who said, but they basically were saying. Nintendo actually prefers the structure of Mario Run. They like the pay-once-and-done approach. They don't like the gotcha freemium system that Heroes has, but yet Heroes is the one making money. And then Kimishima, directly, has been bluntly quoted in the article as saying that Mario Run's direct revenue, quote, did not meet expectations. So Heroes is making a ton of money for them. Mario Run is not. They want Mario Run 2, and it failed. Now, it doesn't mean it didn't work as a marketing tool for the brand. Um, Obviously, it it's going to spread the word of Mario. He's still on display at every app store. If you walk to an app store, he's on the big banner along the wall still. But uh, Nintendo obviously wants a return of investment on that, so they didn't quite get that. And I think there's potentially a few reasons that Mario Run, rent, Mario Run went awry. Um, well, the price was for one. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I feel like we both voiced this concern back before it and came out. And whether we agreed with it or not, it was definitely apparent. Yeah, because you have the problem where mobile gamers are in this mindset of race to the bottom pricing they believe that if it's not free whatever they're playing better give the appearance of being as cheap as possible like fire emblem heroes and pokemon go they do this by making you only need to pay for little things and you only pay for them when you absolutely have to or you have orbs or have pokeballs well you can either wait it out or hey just pass 99 cents our way or pass a couple bucks our way and we'll give it to you and before you know it you have no problem spending dozens or hundreds of dollars on orbs and pokeballs and other things and that makes a ton of money. That's how Heroes is cash cow. Meanwhile, Mario Run gives you three levels and then says, okay, give me 10 bucks." And because it was listed in the free tier in the App Store, a lot of people kind of felt like they were misled or tricked or that was just a demo and they didn't get their money's worth. And, well, they didn't get their money's worth because they didn't pay, but they didn't get what they should have been entitled to. And to be <laughs> honest... I didn't get my free... I didn't get my zeros worth. And to be honest, though, I think that specific level count of only having three levels before you pay was part of the problem directly. I'd say the second reason Mario Run underperformed behind price is that it didn't offer enough in the free bracket first. Like, it takes less than 10 minutes to beat those three levels. Maybe even five minutes if you're quick and you don't really care about score or anything. Well, Jason, that's because it takes like 30 minutes to beat the whole game. Well, sure, but you're a little bit more... Because people have to realize that Toad Run, I guess, is where... That's what I say. You're encouraged... When you have the whole game, you're encouraged to go back, improve your score... Uh, get all the coins and all the difficulties. Go into Toad Run, get the Toads, build the the, ta- uh, the the kingdom, do all that stuff. But when you only get three levels and you haven't paid anything yet, you haven't put in the ten bucks and know that you want to do all these things. Why would you care about going back to those three levels over and over again? Why would you care about getting the coins? Why would you care about Toad Rally? Toad Rally might be fun, but you have a bad taste in your mouth from the fact that you played three levels and nothing else happened. You're not going to be like, let me go back to level one and beat my high score because it's meaningless because you're not unlocking the other 98% of the game or whatever, you know? So mm-hmm. it kind of, that mentality, I think, screwed over Nintendo a little. And, I mean, during their last financial briefing, we talked about this on the show, Nintendo admitted they needed free players to have more to do in Mario Run. And now, here we are in March, and with the launch of Mario Run on Android this past week, they are using that as the opportunity to add extra stuff. And I honestly think it's a little late, but I honestly think if this was the structure they had in place in December, it could have worked out a lot better for them. Because now, on both Android and iOS, you're encouraged to go through the first three levels multiple times and actually kind of go through all those challenges and whatnot because 
there's things to unlock when you do. There's now special Bowser challenges. Before, when you beat the three levels, you gotta go about, what, 10 feet into level 1-4, Bowser's Castle, and that just cut you off. Now, you can actually play it all the way through and fight Bowser, but the only way to do it is to do these challenges in the other levels. So you kind of have to earn your way into 1-4. And that earning makes going back have a gameplay hook and a reason to exist. It's not just to do a high score, it's meaningless, it's to actually progress through the free game. And by beating 1-4, you then unlock extra Toad Rally courses, which brings in Toad Rally to the whole equation, makes it more than just a side mode that you, I guess, are checking out because you beat the three stages and you don't know what else to do. Like, for free players, there's actually a whole hook here now. There's a whole reward, uh, challenge and reward system in place, which it was missing before, on this scale at least. So it'll be interesting to see if it ends up turning around uh, Nintendo's disappointment. I mean, already it's off to a pre-respective start on uh, Google Play. It's already listed as having more more than 10 million downloads. They do list, like, kind of buckets of download. So Mario runs between 10 and 50 million, but we don't know what that actual number is. But I'm sure um, I'm sure we'll hear more at Nintendo's financial briefing at the end of April. And one thing Mario Run has in its favor is on Google Play, it's currently at a rating average of 3.5 stars. No review bombs from people who thought it would be free throughout. So... People seem better educated about how the game structure works as well, which can only help word of mouth if it's not getting half a star. So, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, Mario Run actually wasn't the only noteworthy thing Nintendo... I mean, I, well, before we even get to that, like, you deleted it a long time ago, right? I actually reinstalled it recently. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you this. Um, it. Did the colored Yoshis get you back in? No, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, you know what's clever about the colored Yoshis? Sorry, I just got to say it real quick, and then please, by all means... Um, each Yoshi's color will give you toads of that color in Toad Rally, and then you use those toads of that color to get new items of certain colors to put in your kingdom. They have integrated everything so much tighter now. Anyway, yes. Anything else? Nope. <laughs> um, I only reinstalled it just because um, I just felt I wanted to fill out more of my game page on my iPad, so there's more things than just Hearthstone. So you don't look like you have an addiction when you just admitted on Twitter the other day that you played Hearthstone for 10 hours in a single day? That's almost half of the entire day. Is that why you put it back? I will say that. I, I might be calling you out slightly. <laughs> um, I only played one match today, so less than 10 minutes. Wait, is it? Okay, well, it's not midnight yet. It's like, well, today might have only been a few minutes. But Well, yeah. good for you. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you yeah. that, that you can sort of rein in the addiction to prove a point. Every so often. Um, but other than that, yeah, I haven't reopened it. And I might delete it again soon. I guess I have no reason to play it. You have no reason to have it in the... To re-download it, really. Yeah. Fill out your game page. Well, the reason still stands I was, in uh, two uh, weeks yeah, I, I was going to play just to say, oh, let's see what it's like on a bigger screen. But I wasn't even motivated to play Yeah, to that. be honest, I have not really played Mario Run I, since January. The funny thing is that I did um, re-download Sonic Run. Or Sonic Dash, and I did play that one. I'm like, wow, this is fun again. But and yet, not Mario. What's well, because Sonic's going faster and Mario's too slow. Well, that's because Sonic's got to go fast. Yeah. I'm here all week. Thank you. Thank you. Someone out there probably, when they heard that, that Sonic's got to go fast. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I honestly have not played Mario Run since like January. But I think, I don't know if it's enough to get me back in, but I think anyone who's into Mario Run, these new things like the Yoshis angering with the Toads, angering with the Kingdom, and... The, the the free the free side of it all that stuff I think that helps people who may first be discovering Mario Run stay longer and put more into it but I don't know how much it does to bring back people who left like they are trying to do events like Pokemon Go did they are trying to do events like um, Fire Emblem Heroes is now doing 
Uh, they have like you know special like golden goombas and all sorts of other stuff. Get special items for your kingdom only by playing at certain t- like within certain time ranges. But maybe maybe it's just a situation like I was saying where you still have to have a passing interest in it for it to hook you the way like Pokemon Go did for me or Fire Emblem does for a ton of people. Maybe I just don't have that passing interest. I don't know. I'm sure someone out there does, and I I hope for Nintendo's sake it, it works out for the best. Um, but yeah, Mario Run wasn't the only noteworthy thing Nintendo executives have talked about as of late. In a to bring the I guess to bring our conversation like full circle back to the Switch, um, in a separate interview with a separate Japanese magazine, uh, the Switch's sy- system architect Shinya Takahashi was saying that Nintendo has a number of new IP in the works for the system that will a utilize the Joy Cons, and b provide unconventional gaming experiences. This led the magazine to try and pry more information out of him, specifically citing Brain Age of all things as an example. Is that what you mean by unconventional? I guess Brain Age was very unconventional for its time, so I see where they're coming from, but I don't think Nintendo's making Switch Brain Age, but either way. They're asking, is that the type of thing you're talking about? And of course, uh, Takahashi demurred and wouldn't say. But nonetheless, what this indicates to me is that we may see the Switch follow a long-term strategy that very similarly matches what the DS did. I touched on the possibility of this, I feel like, in like January, maybe, when we were talk- before System Launch, we were talking about how it could go. But it's kind of fascinating if you now look at how it's unfolding in real time and how closely it actually mirrors and parallels what the DS did. So, like, you may recall, when the DS came out in 2004, it was, like, a true gamer system. Its marketing was more mature. With oh, the 2004? Touch- wow. uh, yeah, 2004, November 2004. It's But it's, it's, it was very, like, I don't know if you remember that vividly, but it was very mature, quote-unquote. Touching is good was the marketing slogan. All the ads had that seductive lady whispering about, go ahead, touch it, that sort mm. of thing. Um they had launch games that were the likes of like Metroid Prime First Hunt, uh, Hunter's First Hunt, and Mario 64 uh, DS, you know, gamer games. They had games throughout the rest of the year that were more gamer-centric, like Advanced Wars Dual Strike, Mario Kart DS. All that was within the first mm, year. Such a good console. It was. And then also in that first year, they took a, one, one or two stabs at casual with something like Dogs, which came out, I think, August of its first year, so August 20, 2005. Then, jump ahead to 2006 with the DS, and suddenly... You got an onslaught of games that define it as we know it today, as, as, as like what sold the system. Brain Age, Big Brain Academy, Casual Friendly, New Super Mario Brothers, all the more like casual focused stuff, they doubled down hard in that second year. Now compare that to the Switch. The Switch launched with the likes of a gamer-centric game with Zelda Breath of the Wild. We're seeing a Mario Kart coming to it next month. We're getting gamer-centric titles like Splatoon 2 and Fire Emblem Warriors. And we already got our one or two stabs at casual this year with Snipper Clips and 1-2 Switch. Much like the DS, the Switch is very clearly being marketed and positioned as a core gamer, or well, not really marketed, more positioned as a core gamer system. It's why you hear GameStop report that Zelda has an almost perfect one-to-one ratio in sales with the system itself. It's why GameStop is also now making these crazy claims that Switch is moving so fast it could, if the momentum keeps up, eclipse total Wii sales, which is absurd to say at this point. Because us core gamers are ravenous well, about this. For news, I guess. Well, here's the thing: us core gamers are ravenous about this sort of stuff. We are gonna buy in droves as soon as possible to get the hot new system. Like that's just what gamers do. They want it right away to be part of the conversation and everything. And that means, like in Japan, for example, the Switch uh, just passed 500,000 units sold in four weeks. That is faster than what the PS PS4 was selling in its first month. That seems pretty big. But the thing is, the core gamer well, so to speak, dries up a lot quicker because we're all buying it up front. It's front-loaded. If, For example, 
Yes, the Switch outsold PS4 in its first month with 500,000. But you know what outsold the Switch in its first month? The Wii U. And we all know the Wii U ended up being way behind the PS4 in uh, overall sales. So PS4 is still going along strong. So um, the point is, just because it's doing well at the beginning doesn't mean it's going to do well at all. But right now, Nintendo's doing the gamer-centric thing, and it's working well. Yeah, like to give I mean, all we can say that it's just a good thing that it actually met this goal, because yes. it would be pretty troubling if it said that, yeah, it couldn't even beat out the Wii U in the first month or something. Well, well it didn't beat out the Wii U. I mean, PS4. Oh, but never yeah. mind. Fine. It, Wii U somehow did better, because... <laughs> well, I was hoping um, it did a lot worse, but... Yeah. No, Wii, Wii U, it went, the order, the ranking goes Wii U, Switch, PS4. But what I think is significant is if you look at, here, we'll, we'll do a better comparison. And yes, I actually looked up these numbers and pulled them specifically to make this point. So let's mer- let's compare it to the DS. So that's the analogy I'm making that's kind of like the DS. So in the first year, the DS was a gamer-centric system. In the first year, the Switch is a gamer-centric system. In the first year, the DS, worldwide, in the first 16 months actually, sold 15 million units. Not so coincidentally, as we touched on last episode, Nintendo's expecting in its first year the Switch to sell 16 million units. Those numbers are very, very similar, and they have very, very similar demographics currently. Now, let's look at how the DS did roughly in its second year, the year with Brain Age, the year with New Super Mario Brothers. It more than doubled that 15 million number. In fact, it came in at over 35 million systems sold by at that point in its life. So two years in, 35 million units. And that's certainly in part because of the turn to the casual. That's in part because they reached out to new audiences. Um, Even if you take into account the fact that the DS Lite came out that year, and let's say hypothetically every single DS owner bought a DS Lite, so they all double-dipped, there are still six, nearly six million systems that were sold beyond the people that were the core gamers that had the DS if they all double-dipped, which of course they did not. So there's this whole new market that just popped up. Six million... Just that six million extra is just shy of half of what the DS did in its first year, and then there's all the other people that you know piled in. So you could almost see that it just, there's like exponential growth potentially here if Nintendo expands the market outwards. So that seems to be what they're doing right now, and I don't think we're going to see a Switch Lite in 2018, but I do think we're going to see un- those unconventional games Takahashi referenced. I think they're going to fit a mold. That's more like the DS's second wave of games and less like the first wave. So more outward-looking, more casual-friendly, more weird and unique and quirky and different from what we've seen before. I mean, obviously he said they're unconventional, so I'm sort of just giving synonyms. But they're going to appeal to a a broader audience than what currently the Switch does. And it all goes back to the idea that I keep referencing on the show that Reggie said in January about those expanding footprints. You start with the diehards, you start with Zelda, you expand outward to other gamers or Splatoon and Mario Kart, and you just keep... and, and Mario Odyssey... And you keep just expanding outward and outward and outward. And the current friend, uh, frenzy of sales can very easily be attributed to that initial gamer, fo- gamer footprint. And as Nintendo grows outward, it means new games, new demographics that, for those games. And then we get DS year two, but Switch style. Hmm. That's where I think we're going. You really think so? Well, I mean, it, it, right now it's mirroring the first year of DS identically. It's literally within a million of the same sales numbers. Or if Nintendo meets their goals, so... I don't think it's that crazy I mean, to assume otherwise. We're rooting for it. Yeah, it'd be nice. And of course, this does lead to the question of when can we expect to see some of these new unconventional games. I don't think we're going to see them until after this first gamer year. Nintendo did not show off Brain Age. Nintendo did not show off any of that sort of more casual stuff until after Pop that initial game. Retro year. developing Brain Age. That would be nuts. <laughs> but but no, seriously, like we if you look at um, 
you know, if you look at the first E3 that the DS had after launch, it was Mario Kart. It was, I guess, Animal Crossing, which can skew a little more casual, but it was like the more gamery games. It was Metro Prime Pinball. It was like the more gamery stuff. And I suspect for this year, of everything since... pinball, when I think gamery stuff. No, but Metroid. Yeah, Metroid. Well, <laughs> but uh... like Halo Pinball. It's not it's hardcore. Is there a Halo Pinball? No. Oh, there should be. Uh, Metro Prime Pinball is actually an extremely no, good is. game, and anyone that begs to differ, I challenge you to a fist fight. It's not ever you will that. win. Yeah, you will win. That's the thing. That's a horrible challenge. But um, yeah, I think 2017 is really going to be the year the Switch is like the core game. You could be an infant and you'll win. It's true. But I think 2017 is really going to be the, the core year the core gamer year. So I think everything we see Nintendo announce this year is going to fit that mold because, you know, they're going to ride the sales success of Zelda. Then they're going to ride Splatoon, then Mario Odyssey. And there's not really a need to rapidly expand to other demographics now because they can carry that momentum with just the gamery games. So like for upcoming Nintendo directs for Nintendo presence at E3 this year, I think we're really going to see them highlight these gamer games for the Warriors, Xenoblade 2, Splatoon 2, all that, whoever other games they have, all that, it's going to be very gamer-centric. It's going to feel like the heyday of the Wii, where they were just like, you know what, we're just going after our crowd, and then we'll go from there. The problem is with Wii, they didn't go from there because the thing just fell off a cliff. But for Switch, they can go from there. Um, and in fact of E3, actually, in the case of E3, uh, Nintendo's already begun to tease things. Mm-hmm. It, it's only March, and they've already begun to tease things. Reggie recently was interviewed by Fox News and said that this year, Nintendo plans to have a, quote, big E3 with many games on display for both Switch and 3DS, and he said that they're planning to leverage the fact that since it's now open to the public, gamers will be able to come to booths and do things they want to appeal to them. So, that to me seems to pretty safely rule you out the super... You must be very excited, cra- Jason. You're one of those gamers. I am going to be there, yeah. But, but the and point I'm going to make you'll is... go to their booths. I'm going to live in their booth for three straight days. But the point I'm going to make is that seems to pretty safely rule out any super casual fare, any of the unconventional, weird outward-looking games that Takahashi may have been hinting at. 1-2-Switch-2. So. 2-4-Switch? Two, switch two. Two, switch. Maybe. But, um, yeah, so it does offer... It, it does also open some real interesting possibilities of what Nintendo could have at E3. If we're not having unconventional stuff, that means we're going to get the gamer stuff, the stuff gamers want. We could be getting our Pikmin 4. We could be getting... I don't know. Wouldn't it be cool if they did, like, a Luigi's Mansion 3? You know all those dreams of people having Wii remotes as flashlights and vacuums and doing Luigi's Mansion on the Wii? They can do it now with the Joy-Cons, too. So with why the not? Luigi's Mansion backpack attachment, you just stick the Wii mode in the nozzle and you carry this whole thing. Well, yeah, if this was the Wii days, it would for sure have like a vacuum shell. But but yeah, I feel like I feel like a Luigi's Mansion 3 could totally work with the Joy-Cons. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, realistically, I think it'd be cool, perhaps not as adventurous. But and a little boring, but it'd be cool if like some of the old Switch game rumors end up coming true. Like I'd be one hundred percent okay with Smash Bros being at E three. It seems like an obvious fit, even if it ends up just being the enhanced version of the Wii U and three DS versions, as is rumored. Uh, it gives those final three amiibo a chance to finally surface. I know. Uh, I want to finish that collection already. Jeez. I know. And they could announce. And what's cool is they could announce it because they're doing like a more gamer oriented thing. They could announce the new Smash Bros for Switch with a second Smash Bros. Invitational Tournament or something like that. Like, it could be really fun. They're saying they have big plans. The last time they did something... Granted, Zelda was big, but the last time they did something big that was public-facing at E3 was the Nintendo World Championships and Smash Bros. Invitational. This is a good way, especially with their emphasis on esports lately. Yeah. This is a good way for them to kind of double Smash Bros. is probably their biggest one right now in the U.S. at least. I don't really know how big it is in Japan. Although I well, know Splatoon's it, huge in Japan. No, I know, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, in the yeah. USA, definitely Smash Bros. is their biggest esports game. Although, not to mention, um, 
Evo last year announced that they're doing an Evo Japan, and presumably there's going to be a like it's only safe to assume there's going to be a Smash Brothers over there. So probably um, that could be probably. really big. But yeah, so that that could be a good opportunity. Easter could be a great opportunity to kick off that whole everything. Mm-hmm. Likewise, I think like rumors of Pokemon Stars becoming a reality. This would be a really good place to showcase that because Pokemon's obviously huge right now. Um, you know, it's funny, Game Freak actually just posted, I don't think it's for stars, because they would have to have these people already, but Game Freak just posted a job listing recently where they specifically are looking for CG modelers for a console-level game involving cartoon, uh, how'd they describe it? Not cartoon, basically cartoony characters, but they use, like, like disconfigured or, like, malformed or something characters and monsters. So, I mean, like I said, if they're hiring for stars, we're not getting stars anytime like soon. Pokemon. Yes, it does. Monsters and cartoony characters. I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it, it suggests nonetheless that even if it's not Stars, they are working on Switch games right now. So Stars hmm. is Harmonite 2. I'd be okay with that. For the Switch. I'd be 100% okay with that. I like Harmonite. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, what would you... Any fever... Any crazy dream game for Switch that would make sense of E3? Because, like, I'm saying, you know, we could get Luigi's Mansion. We get something as crazy as Luigi's Mansion 3 or something as simple as... Smash Bros. Enhanced Port, like, is there... Or Pikmin 4, or whatever. Is there anything that, like, Kid well, I mean, Icarus 2? I mean, as far as just, like, the games I want that I could be happy with if they release no more games, I yeah. mean, just give me Smash Bros. and Monster Hunter. That's no it. Rhythm Heaven? Uh, I'm still really enjoying Rhythm Heaven Mega Mix, so I'm okay with, like, some space right now. I mean, yeah. if they give me another one, that'd be cool, but right now, I'm, I'm, I'm content. Like, if that was the last Rhythm Heaven game, like, I'd be perfectly happy. I, mean, I did not expect that answer. <laughs> rhythm Heaven is is a very is a very simple game. Like I don't really know. Every time a new Rhythm Heaven game comes out, it's like I don't really know what else they can where they can go from here. I mean, first they were just doing like A and B button presses on the Game Boy Advance. Then they had the stylus gimmick, and then they had, I guess, the A and B gimmick because they were on the top and bottom of each other on the Wii, and then they went back to buttons. And I mean, well, now they have ten point. Then they have up to ten finger touch on the Switch. See, that's the thing, like, like finger I would want it to drumming. be something that I could play on the TV, which automatically rules oh, out the Oh, yeah, stylus, we can't do any of that, yeah. Which, it's just going to go back to button. So it's just going to be, I guess, more of the same, which I'm okay with, but, I mean... It loses it, some it, of its charm. Yeah, it's just a game, like, where, I mean, I don't really know how else they can innovate it, which, I mean, obviously, I, I would love them to surprise me, but... Yeah. Yeah. So all you need is Smash Bros., huh? Well, basically, I mean, I don't really know what else, um... Off the top of my head, I mean, they already announced Mario Odyssey. That kind of Metroid that. Prime Four, or a new Metroid of any sort, really does that be Prime? Well, I mean, I'm okay. well, well, a, an, a proper Pikmin game. <laughs> oh yeah, because you have a vendetta against Pikmin Three. I mean, too short. The DLC released for Pikmin Three, I feel, is better than the actual game, but that's pretty much it. Right. Yeah. Well, it was better. There's no doubt. Like they were more comfortable in their skin, so to speak. The developers. Were- the DLC, like they got, no, yeah, I mean, no. they got more. No, that's it. That's it. The difficulty in the DLC should have been what it should have been on the yeah. console. Yeah. And Pikmin Four should be a reality, considering it's um, like it should be at E three, considering Miyamoto sort of just casually announced it like a year and a half ago, and at that, at that point, it seemed like it was coming just to Wii U or something. Yeah, but I mean, those are just the big games. I mean, obviously, like I want an Ace Attorney on it, and I mean, mm-hmm. I could have just Rhythm Heaven or just like these other smaller things, but I mean, yeah. Uniracers Two, I. Basically, I just want—I I want the reasons why I have to keep the switch on a semi-easy way to set up mm. gone. 
Oh. You mean the Wii U? Wii U. Yeah, I can yeah. play the Switch. Yeah. yeah, you're mixing up your game systems. I mean, I've been doing it too, but... And you know what's going to make it even more confusing? Is when we start talking about Splatoon 2, Global Test Fire, because we're going to be swapping around the gamepad and the Switch and the Wii U and the Switch a lot because there's a lot of comparisons. To yeah. make. And just more co-op games. I don't even know... That's the thing, like, I don't know what I want from Nintendo besides, like... You want to be surprised what it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, like, like, honestly, like, I'm okay if they never make... I mean, it sounds weird to say, like... I'm okay they never make another Metroid Prime because I was fine with Metroid Prime 1, 2, 3. But, yeah, but maybe like, something new in the Metroid universe. Yeah, like, I different. mean, yeah, just another... That's why I said that specifically Metroid Prime, like, just a right. new Metroid experience. Well, they made it. It was called Federation Force in here, and I hated it. So. For console. I know. But, it's called Federation Force HD, and the internet will hate it. Uh, yeah, local, single, console, multiplayer. Right. And Which I mean, is what the Switch is all and, about, and so we're going to that. We're honestly, that like... Sure. Not not even like game specifically. Like I just want. There's so many things that I like dream modes I want in Smash Brothers that I feel like are never gonna happen. Like I want like a nice co-op online experience, like they kind of had in PlayStation All Stars. That's kind of mm-hmm. like for glory, but not the ridiculous. Oh, you have like two minutes to fight in team right. battle. That's ridiculous. Like yeah, I don't know. I, I wish they had. I don't know, like they just call it like tournament mode. Oh, not even tournament mode. Just. Yeah, you can still call it for glory, but just actually give us, like, I don't know, stock matches for team. I wish I... See, I feel like this, obviously... So many modes that are just, like, like, yeah, feel like a no-brainer. And I feel like this would be the E3 to show that, because obviously in future years, the Switch isn't going to become a casual-only machine. Like, I was talking about all the unconventional game stuff, but obviously there's still going to be core games. Wii U had a good balance. DS had a good balance. I mean, not Wii U. Wii had a good balance. DS had a good balance. Wii U was strictly core games. Um, so I imagine, you know, even if we don't see something like that, what you're describing at this E3, this would be the E3 to do it. Cause you have yeah, because if this... you don't see it this year, it'll be there next year. Yeah, this if... isn't not happening. Yeah, because I mean, something. even if it doesn't happen with this Smash Bros, because the thing is, like, if they don't want to alienate the casuals, the thing is that the casuals, I feel, don't even notice. This would alienate them. It'd be a mode they don't no, touch. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's it. Because, I mean, like, casual players, like, didn't really care so much for the tripping. Like, oh, it's gone now, but, like, they didn't carry their way. Yeah. So... I mean, if anything, you're just annoying the core gamers by not including yeah. these features. Yeah. But, but I mean, E3's yeah. still a little ways away, but I think as, like, core Nintendo fans who, you know, stuck it out through Wii U and all all, all and all that, it is kind of cool to see the Switch lead with such a strong footing in, like, the games that matter most to us. Like, yes, I enjoyed Nintendogs. Yes, I enjoyed Wii Sports. Yes, I enjoyed Wii Sports Resort. I sport, you know, Brain Age, all that. But it's cool that, like, the, the nintendo like, the games that define us as Nintendo, that make us Nintendo fans, that define what our Nintendo fandom was growing up, those are ones Nintendo's focusing on first. Those are ones I think are going to see at E3, and uh, that, that's cool. Like, it's cool that they're really gunning for us right now, and then from there, they'll expand outward. So it should be a fun E3. It should be a fun E3 for that reason alone. Um, but yeah, I did mention Splatoon. That's pretty much it for news. I did mention Splatoon. Last weekend was the global test fire for Splatoon 2 for all Switch owners. It was free. There were six sessions, each an hour long. You played it. I played it. We all played it. Um, it was tremendous. Um, but, yeah, it, it was fun. Uh, so, I mean, what was your what was your takeaway? Um, we're now in the what, for what we're playing segment for those it's funny, keeping score Because I played an okay amount of Splatoon towards the end with the, with the Wii U Pro Controller. Like towards right. the end, like with the whole original like, Splatoon. Yeah, we're just with, yeah. with that whole crazy setup with the sh- with the rubber. Oh, you band. did that. Yeah. You did that with the shoelace and the rubber. Yeah, I did band that various the... times. Oh, 
How have I never seen you do that? I, I wish you documented this. Oh, I think I took a picture. You know when they first I announced about it. You know yeah. when they first announced that absurdity. Oh, maybe you did. You know when they first announced the absurdity of the uh, the rubber band holding together the the Wiimote and I mean, the Pro controller. The game. They announced it two minutes, literally two minutes after we finished recording a podcast, and it was like one in the morning LA time, and I was like, "This is perfect podcast fodder," but it'll be worthless in two weeks. Why did they? Why could mm. they do it twenty minutes earlier? But yeah, anyway, you're saying. Oh, I guess because I was playing some Splatoon like that, mm-hmm. um, it made this game feel not like a sequel whatsoever. I guess, well, it, 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 I mean, I don't know. think that I don't think it's just that because I had the same impression. I did not do that. Oh. It makes you feel better. Right. You did nothing. You did nothing to set the stage for this. It the game sets the stage. No, for I know. That. Yeah. Well, I mean, outside of just like looking the same and basically playing the same, the fact that I wasn't using a gamepad just made it feel. Like, even more of the same. Like, it was fun. Like, I definitely enjoyed all my time with it. But it kind of felt like we never... It just didn't really feel like a... I don't know. It just didn't feel like a true sequel. It felt like... Splatoon 1.5. It felt like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. But they didn't want to have two remakes. So they're like, alright, let's just not... Let's just give them completely new stages and weapons. And just do a sequel. Yeah, it's interesting. Because, like, that was also kind of my big takeaway from Splatoon 2. Was that... uh, For the test fire, at least... I mean, granted, Test Fire is a somewhat limited scope. We should start there. We don't know what the game's fully going to entail. Yeah. We don't know what new modes are. We I don't mean, know what mo- single player is like. But from the Test Fire... Yeah, this is solely based on the Test Fire. It definitely felt... Like, it's really fun. I like the new additions. We're going to go way in deep on that. But it just didn't feel like a fully-fledged sequel. You're right. It Like, when you go from, say, Mario Kart DS to Mario Kart Wii, you're in the same franchise, but the games are drastically different. And you immediately recognize that. With the test fire, that line between Splatoon and Splatoon 2, like you were saying, just isn't that distinct. It just wasn't really there. Like, character models look better. The ink is prettier. Yeah, has better ink physics. Um, I mean, the, the, the extra power. The reflections on anything that's lended or slimy looks really nice. Yeah, and then, like, the extra power means, like, when you start the map, you see pigeons fly away as you run into the battle. Or, like, on the fitness map, they had little jellyfish, like, doing cardio in the background, which was adorable. But, like, beyond that, what we experienced was literally, like you said, like one, like the, the equivalent of deluxe. It offers nips and tucks. It offers some new things, but it didn't really drastically change how the original worked in any meaningful way. Like even down to still having questionable choices, like you still have to leave an online lobby just to change weapons, which is absurd. And I don't know how that got not just in Splatoon one, but also into Splatoon two. Like that's a weird choice. But like I don't know if there's anything wrong with this approach. To it. Like it's not. Maybe the name was wrong, but I don't think, like, Splatoon 1, original Splatoon, to me at least, still feels like, pun intended here, a very fresh experience. So, I don't know if they say had to dramatically change everything. I think, like, basically what Splatoon 2 did, does, based on the test fire, is they kind of took everything that works well with the original, they adjusted it for single screen play on Switch, and then they just kind of threw in what probably would have amounted to an eventual paid DLC pack should the original have lived on longer. Like, mm. I... And given that I would have happily paid for that DLC pack on the Wii U one and probably disregard all the original versions of Splatoon or all the pre-update stuff, like, you know, like, oh, the rollers move faster now and that sort of thing, I would have been happy with that. I am i can't say I'm unhappy with Splatoon 2 because I, I would have loved that, so I, I love it here on the Switch. Like, it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, I don't know, how many, because I, play, I played three different test fire sessions and... I think what stood out to me the most through those experiences, what really differentiated it wasn't the weapons, wasn't the um, wasn't the new specials, wasn't the new map adjustments. I think what really stood out to me from a from the 
game design perspective was seeing how Nintendo adapted it to that single screen experience. Because you see you see it everywhere. Like not just with the map, but like on the original Splatoon, when the game's loading, when you're in the lobby waiting, you get to play those little mini games on the gamepad. You obviously can't do that when you only have one screen, so instead they replaced it with essentially a remixing soundboard where every button and every stick on the controller suddenly lets you manipulate the music in real time, which is actually kind of fun. But like you that's something that they literally did simply because you can't mimic the two screen steps. Like, well, let's do this instead. Or but obviously the bigger example to me was the revamped uh, map and super jump system where in the original all I had to do was press the gamepad where you want to go by touching it. Just touch where you want to go. And this time around you have to trigger the map with X and then you navigate around using the gyro or using the D-pad for shortcuts to your teammates. And it works pretty well. It's pretty slick. Like, I do like the gyro movement. I thought that was well done. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It's definitely how... way faster. And... I don't know if it's faster, though, at least in my opinion. I do like how the HD rumble, like, as you move towards the part you want to go, like, which teammate, it gets steadier. Like, let it's... me finish. Oh, so uh, sorry. Go ahead. I said it was fa- it's faster than selecting who you want to jump to and then just pressing the button to jump there. Oh, just, sure. Yeah. Did you the gyro just... Especially in the heat of the battle, you think, oh, I want to jump close to where that enemy is. It's because, like, that we're losing that territory. Just move the gyro there and you're there. As opposed to, I don't know, I guess, like, okay, um, Tim is over there. Where is Tim? Oh, Tim's on the left side of the screen, so side A or something like that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Like, it's faster than the buttons. It's slower than the touch. Oh, yeah, everything's going to be thrown in touch because you didn't have to activate anything. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I mean, not even the activation, but just no, having well, to well, that's what I mean. wiggle it. Overall. Yeah, yeah, but I do like the... Well, I was trying to say that I do like the HD rumble thing where it does get... The rumble gets more intense as you get closer to a part where, a place where you can actually land, as it, i.e. your teammate. So, so that's kind of a nice touch. But the, the thing I don't like is the map isn't always visible. That... You don't realize how much that matters in Splatoon 1 until it's not there anymore. And I think for me, the problem is twofold. First, there's the super jump when you die. So Nintendo is now trying so hard to explain to players this new workaround where you have to hit X instead of using the touchscreen that they prompt you to use the map way sooner than you actually need to use it. You can't trigger your jump, so to speak, until you're finished respawning, but meanwhile the game screen is yelling at you to do it as soon as you die. There's like five or six seconds there where there's multiple cues on the screen, like use the map, use the map, hit X, use the map. Then you open the map, it's like select where you want to go, select where you want to go but you can't actually do it during those five seconds. So at first, you just sit there hitting A, like, I want to go to this spot. Why is it not letting me go to this spot? I'm telling it, jump me here. And they're like, oh, I'm still respawning. Because once you load up the map, it doesn't show you the countdown to when your respawn's done. You just have the map. So there's this weird disconnect in how they're messaging it where they're trying, like I said, super hard to get you to open the map so you understand how the map works that they kind of forgot. Well, we should probably tell them they can't do it yet. There's time that they need to do that. So that was a little weird. Once you get over that, it's fine. But I noticed that even in like my third test fire, I would still open the map too soon and just be sitting there like, I guess I respawn now? I think I respawned. And now I have to like close and be like, oh yeah, I respawned and reopen. Or I have to like count down in my head or whatever. Because it's like, there's literally no visual cue on the pop-up map that you finished respawning. You can now jump where you want to go. It's a weird oversight. Yeah. It's a minor oversight. And I'm only complaining because I really enjoyed the game and that was sort of a small, small, small hindrance. But... It's an oversight, nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, overall, so I was a good experience. I mean, I started just getting used to the fact that they, oh, totally, yeah, that they just mapped jump to a a yeah, they did map jump to a to the a button where map is B X or B, oh, yeah, B, yeah, or whatever buttons directly below yeah X. Because I remember when Splatoon first came out, 
I thought it was weird that jump button was X, and I'm like, all right, this is going to get some getting used to because literally every game ever always has you jump with B. Yeah. And now they changed it to B, and now my muscle memory is on X, so I would open up the map so many times by accident, and it got really annoying. But Here's a... I started to get used to it once you start to force yourself to just remember, okay, just have your hand on B because you do jump a lot. It's but... It's funny because... The only time I used them, I opened the map was when I was trying to jump. I wanted, like, I never opened the map otherwise. And I feel like this is partly my fault, but my second problem with the map setup in general is there's no always visible map. So, yes, granted, I could open the map and see what I'm doing, but it's a whole screen overlay. And then you don't, then you have to, like, you can't look at it while you're doing something. I mean, it's so definitely like, just like every other person. Yeah, but, but here's, here's my, yeah, but the thing is, it wasn't like that. So, here, here's my issue. You don't always you kind of lose your surroundings when you don't have an always visible map. And I'm a splat roller kind of guy. I like to think of myself as a cleanup crew that kind of rolls through areas that are freshly inked by opponents, and I'll make a mine again, opposed to like charging head on into new terrain. I kind of just go back, and with no visible map on the gamepad because there's no gamepad, and there's no mini map. Yeah, I can hit X and see it, but then I have to keep being like, okay, it's there, close, go, or open, like, okay, now I'm over here. It just seems like an extra step, and I found myself often, because I don't have the mini-map, I'd often be, like, off in one part of the map doing my cleanup crew duty, completely unaware that perhaps my roller services could be better used elsewhere on the map, because maybe not only would I be doing cleanup, but I'd also be steamrolling over some people in ink or something, because I don't know where the enemies are, I don't know where my teammates are. There's literally no indication. Someone could sneak up behind me and hit me, and I have no sense of it because there's no itty bello map that at least shows me immediate surroundings. You kind of lose all your context in the battle. You can bring up your context at any time, but it's definitely easier if you just have it always there, which this Platoon 1 did really well. So, again, it's another very small nitpick, and it's specific to my playstyle. But, still, it is something that when you go from the Wii U, a system that everyone's like, what's the point of the gamepad, to a system where there's no gamepad, you're suddenly like, oh, that's why the gamepad was useful. That's why it mattered. Okay. Uh, it's an easy thing to get over. It's just, yeah. I have to have to do it But just, you kind of lose your contextual surroundings a little when you're doing it without the map. Like, you don't, honestly, it's more narrow view. I mean, the more I think about it, and just like from my experience when I was just like switching between the map, it is, it is easy to miss the gamepad at first, but... I guess because of like the way I held the gamepad, I would have to look... And I guess the way how far away my, ga- my TV was and how far down mm-hmm. I put the gamepad, the time it would take for me to like move my head down and up was still about the same as like, just pressing X. Like you, I mean, unless you're holding it up and trying to make like a giant DS with your peripherals. Well, not quite, like, but... <laughs> it's not... I don't know. It feels like you're really not losing that much in the end. I feel. I, I mean, again, it's not huge. It's, it's also very specific to my playstyle. But you know, I'd be lying on the couch, my TV would be across the room, and the way behind the gamepad, I could just dart my eye down, and it'd be right there. So you're so holding it right under your face. I'd be lying down and holding it, kind of. You know, like when you hold a switch when you hold a switch or a DS when you're lying down, you kind of hold it up so you could see it. I'd be doing that, and then but I'd be watching the TV, and I just. Oh, so you're lying down on your stomach, playing? No, on my back, on my stomach. What are you talking? Lying down about? on your back. Or, like, leaning against the couch. I don't know exactly what I was saying, but my point is the gap wasn't that big. Oh, that when you say, lying, when you say lying down, you make it sound like you're, like, on a bed or something. Like, there's no, like... Or I'd be lying down along the couch sideways, my head resting against where the armrest would be. Okay. And I'd be having the TV in front of me. Oh, so it's basically... So it kind of mir- minimizes so it, so the gap. So it kind of is. Yeah, so that's what I was saying. So you kind of are... That's, like, the only time when it is literally, yeah. like, perfect. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But it wasn't... But, I mean, if you're in any other position... That's, yeah, yeah, that's really how you play Wii U. So, I mean, yeah, I can again, sit, like, sitting up straight and being like, 
I mean, you can't really hold a gamepad. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, this is, to be clear, the only reason, these are not game breakers, you're not deal breakers. I only care because I'm enjoying the game so much that these little, and I like the first one so much, that these little differences sort of stood out to me more, which, which obviously, you know, three months into Splatoon 2, or three weeks into, three days into Splatoon 2, I'll probably be over most of this. But as someone who had a very specific way of doing Splatoon, it was strange to lose the, the the methods to my madness, you could say. But I do think that one thing Nintendo nailed with Splatoon 2 is they did an excellent job with the new weapons and the new abilities. So I, I tried some different ones. Uh, I'm sure you did too, I'm sure. But the... Well, the I mean, there's only like... Well, there's only four. But, yeah. but the Splat Duelies are the one everyone seems really into. They are pretty fun. The roll maneuver is handy, and only, and you only have it with the dualies. Now, I don't, as a splat roller man, I um I don't know if I'll forever change from my roller ways, but dualies are pretty fun. And I think, and I think they're special where you kind of do the Mario Sunshine style jetpack is straight up an O tomorrow. So there's so much in Splatoon that's obviously nods to Mario Sunshine, and that's just yet another one, which is kind of funny. But, but yeah, I think my my all time favorite. And also the bomb that comes with Splatoon is that curling bomb, basically. Mm-hmm. That That's actually pretty handy because it gives you a chance to really sort of invade enemy turf without putting yourself at risk more than most bombs. Because most bombs only like, go a certain distance and that's it. But, like, that thing just goes for a while. Like, it can go clear across the map if it's a straight line. I mean, Splatoon 1 had something like that. What was it? It was like a remote control thing or... Yeah, but this one you have to... This one's a little more freeform. Like, you just drop it and go. You have to... It's more... Well, like the other one, I mean, the other one was too. You just dropped it and you could even follow it so you could like oh, go on sure, its ink yeah. trail. The only difference is that I think that one either split on impact and this one bounces off walls. I don't remember. That. Or something like or that. Maybe it crawled up walls. I don't remember. But I don't know. The, I'm, I'm, the best thing though in the in the test fire, in my opinion, is the uh, splashdown that the splat roller has. That's just so satisfying to do that. Like you never actually get anyone caught in it, but it is so satisfying to just do that little bam and be like, the superhero landing pose and all that, but I don't know what was your what was your favorite weapon of the bunch? Because I I imagine you jumped around through through a few different ones. Mm, probably between the dualies and the regular splatter. Uh, I mean, they did they did change. It's funny because the splatter, while the same, is also slightly di- like is it? It's the same. Is it, is it exactly the same? Because yeah. I know like the rollers are faster, and I know that. Well, I mean, if they were faster. I mean, I played the rollers and they felt exactly the same. No, they they they're, you have more momentum when you're at full speed. Sure. Or you build I mean, up I to full speed. I, I, I didn't feel anything. And also, they have a new flick, vertical flick move that um, goes further but narrower. I mean, the, the vertical ink. flip was definitely still there. It was there, but it's different now because it goes further, but it's narrower. Oh. I mean, I it didn't feel any different. But... No, so, the, so the old one was like a horizontal, like a horizontal splash forward. This one, it actually does a line forward, like a vertical line that goes further distance. I'm getting really into the nay gray on this, but yeah, I don't know. I, I like Splatoon and Splatoon 2. But which is why I'm having all these nitpicks. Um, the one thing I didn't expect is I did not. I find kind of interesting actually that this happened. I did not expect that the modes I play the Switch in would impact which weapons I prefer. So if I'm playing in handheld mode with the Switch, I found that uh, obviously enough the motion controls are a lot less useful because the whole screen is moving with you. So while they're still there, I was doing more subtle movements because I don't want to like turn the screen some crazy way around me. So because of that. Um, I like the dualies a lot more because I feel like they're easier to control with less motion. It might just be my bad motion skills. I'm not sure. But then when I'm playing on TV mode using the controller grip and I want to have more motion flexibility, I notice that 
uh, is more into the the splat roller because the splat roller gives you is a little more forgiving with motion control. You still have more maneuverability. Like you can tilt and you can like tilt and twirl every which oh, way yeah, and it won't I, mess I, up your aim I, I as much. I can agree with that, but yeah, I don't know. I, I think on this version of the game, I don't know. I guess I've never really preferred the splat roller that much. Just cause it, I like it because I'm bad at aiming and it lets me still win. <laughs> Let's still do oh, well. Funny. That kind of summarizes, I guess, my my my, deep, my issues with it. Uh, I like it because it's like Cause it's like to you me, suck at games. Here you go, kid. Oh, I was gonna say like yeah, because to me it's just kind of boring. Like you don't really do anything. You just, I mean, obviously you you impact the game pretty significantly. But I mean, as a player, you're not really doing. It, you're just running around the stage. I'm the cleanup crew. I said it from the start. Like I mean, it's just I don't know. Like well, I, I, well see, because because I mean, like, like like I mean, I'm just breaking it down. Like no, good, I, no it's very essential. Like you're just running around the stage, just. You see an enemy, just run at them. You're just running, and and the other and any literally any other weapon, you're still running around, but you can also interact with the environment in, in almost any angle you want because you're shooting. And hey, I could splat splash. I mean, it, any it, which way. It's definitely a nice beginner <laughs> weapon because you're just running. You don't really have to aim anything. You just run. <laughs> I don't, okay. I mean, now now that you ruined my now that you diss my profession of cleanup crew, I'm gonna defend myself. because I feel like you could do a. Like a pretty decent job as cleaner crew, even with any of the guns. Yes and no. So the thing about the splat roller that is great is yes, you are just sort of running around. But if you're viewing, are you viewing Splatoon more as a shooter in the traditional sense, or are you viewing it as I'm viewing it as like ink? I'm viewing it as crazy. objective to win based. Okay, because as objective to win based, I constantly am one of the top people on my team because the splat roller covers that much more ground. So if I go into oh. it saying, screw it, I won't shoot as many people, but I'm going to nail it when it comes to getting that ink on that ground, well, I mean, not, 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 then not, I'm the real winner. I mean, not to brag, <laughs> but every single time I use the any of the duallys or the splatter shot, I always got number one spot. Oh That's because you're just a better gamer. But I mean, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but no, it's, I, I, I mean, it's personal. But then again, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, not, I mean, not, and also, there's I, there I, there's nothing yeah. as satisfying as there being a couple dudes from the opposing team hiding in the ink, and you know they're there, and you plow through I mean, all three of them. Like no other weapon lets you do that. Yeah. No other weapon, and then you do a splashdown on top I'm, of them. I'm, and it's I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's a bad weapon. I just said it was <laughs> yeah. personal preference. Yeah, of course. Yeah, because obviously, like I just wanted to do a little more. But I mean, that's not a little really... more. Oh, taking subtle digs there. I see. Uh, <laughs> I want to. <laughs> you want to do a little yeah. more, as if this one doesn't do enough. Okay. I don't see you doing three kills at once. I don't see you play very much because we don't play online because Splatoon 2 isn't out and the test fire didn't last play head-to-head. But I don't see you doing three kills at once ever in Splatoon 2, which, which isn't out. I'm just going to stop now. Ugh. <laughs> no, but my, my point is, like, I I, I don't know. That's, I find... Yeah, I guess it, it is totally personal preference. But I, I enjoy being person. I enjoy being the cleanup crew, so to speak, that then gets to do the ridiculous kills versus the guy that's consistently just doing steady, normal kills. My main goal is the ink, and the kills are just secondary crazy moments. In my, but that's just me. That's that's what's great about Splatoon, and that's why I love that's true in the original. Yeah, they have true weapons in this for one. everybody. It's not yeah. just weapons for everybody, but playstyles for everybody. Yeah, the game. I mean, most you, shooters, you have to play a certain way. I mean, if, if, if you literally just want to like take out people, I mean, you have the sniper. I mean, they yeah. have like they have guns like to satisfy every playstyle. Like, I like to like feel. I like to run around more while still like being able like to take punch at the people at different elevations. But if you want to focus more on the painting part, then the splat roll is definitely perfect. And we right now are the embodiment of how Splatoon offers so much variety. Yeah. So, 
Go us. Yeah. I, I and you're think... welcome, Nintendo. <laughs> We're marking your game perfectly. Yeah, like, I don't think one was better than the other. Because, I yeah. mean, the style was definitely very powerful. Like, it one-shots people. It's crazy. You have oh, to yeah. definitely be, yeah. like, looking out for it. And, and and to go back to what's new in Splatoon 2, the Splat Duelies... It's more user-friendly. Yeah, and to go... Yeah. yeah. And to go back into uh, to the whole, like, what's new in Splatoon 2, like I was trying to say, the Splat Duelies, like, that roll maneuver... That changes things completely in ways you wouldn't really expect. Like, being able to have that much maneuverability, you can, like, literally circle enemies. Yeah, you can get out of the way of those flat rollers. Not as well as you could think. I can tell you that. It does work. they probably weren't that good then. Because I, like, I I dodged a lot of people coming at me with flat rollers. Just roll at them at the side. So I'm going to just say this. When Splatoon 2 comes out, I think we need to do a head-to-head. And I think we need to take a video of it. And I think we need to put it on YouTube at the Round Nintendo YouTube channel. And you may beat me or I may meet you, but nonetheless, we can sell this once and for all. I think we know how this is going to end. Me winning? Never. See, see, here's the thing. People underestimate me. I No, what I mean by that is you've admitted it with Smash. People expect a certain playstyle with a certain type of thing. Toon Link, you expect a certain type of playstyle in Smash. Splat Roar, you expect a certain type of playstyle. But because I'm so bad or weird about video yeah, games, but I do weird stuff yeah, they but, don't expect and then I win. Yeah, but you're talking about people that don't play you often or that don't already know who you are like i mean no i'm saying if we go head to head i bet you at least the first match i will beat you with the flat roller because you'll just be so confused as to what i'm doing because i'm so strange because of how i play that you'll i'll just win it happened in smash bros with toon link even in one-on-ones i sometimes beat you with toon link because i do stuff like why would you do that there because you know the right way to the right meta game and i don't Mm. I, i challenge you let here shake on it we'll do a challenge there's what? no prize. Oh, we should have a prize. Um, that you'll win like one out of ten matches. No, that I win the first match. That's all I'm saying. One out of ten. Oh no! Well, okay. Now you're just stacking the odds. Well, I mean, I, well, I mean, I care about overall, not just like one match. Anyone can win just one match. Well, but I'm saying the first match. I'm saying when we first go. Fine, ahead, the first I'll match. Be, yeah, I'll be in the first match. What are we? What are we competing for? I don't know. Another dollar. I did pay you a dollar last episode. Whoever wins gets a dollar. Whoever loses gets a cart. Has to lick the cartridge. We can combine the last two episodes' weird moments into one mega moment this summer. You're buying a cartridge? No. I, I own cartridges of Switch games, and I'll oh. re-lick them. I don't know. I'm okay. just trying to combine past podcast things. Whatever. Let's just shake on doing something. We'll figure out the terms later. Hey, anyone listening, if you have ideas of what we should do, like what the winner and loser should do that aren't absurd and don't involve going to Tijuana, um, go ahead and leave them in the comments on episode 147, and we will do them. And I think this also sums up our impressions very well for Splatoon 2, which is... We're looking forward to playing more of it because we're already challenging each other. Just and that the uh, splat roller makes Jason feel very powerful. It does. I'm really cocky about the splat roller. It's I... gonna come back to bite me really quickly. Because I mean, I could see um, Smash Bros. is a game where people that have weird playstyle can definitely win a match the first time, but after that, it's like done. No, when we do multi-person Smash, that's more than a couple of us. Multi? I'm talking about one on one. One on one. That's not like you just like after one match, you just instantly figure them out. But for a game like Splatoon, where you can see people coming from further away, and you have a gun with like range. Like if it's... yeah, but you also have two other opponents I mean, you're dealing with. There's no true one-on-one mode in Splatoon. It's team. There was team. sort in Splatoon of Splatoon one, and I'm pretty sure they're gonna. And no, they're gonna in Splatoon, Splatoon oh, actually they can in this one. No, in the original Splatoon, you had the balloon popping challenge. You didn't have actual one-on-one. That was so cool though. It was cool, but I didn't know that's what we were competing. I in. thought that's what we were competing. In. I thought we were competing like, like, in, like, like literally, it's... like literally competing like head to head, like like which is a better. But... Oh, well, well, then you're going to win the balloon challenge because well, I mean, a, no. a splat thing can't reach to the balloon. No, well, we wouldn't do balloon. We would just, I'm assuming they're going to have an option where they would just have. Something. All right. Let's... I'm being hopeful for Nintendo to yeah. actually have a proper, like, right. 1v1 without balloon. Well, we'll see what happens in 1v1. And you may win and I may be getting blinded by my cockiness. But we'll find out in 
vague summer 2017 release. If it were both using Splat Roller, then it's definitely more up in the air because yeah. we're probably just going to collide a lot in both. I yeah, I, I did that sometimes. I would take one for a team and just suicide myself if it meant stopping someone from getting to our side. I, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Splatoon 2. Test Flyer's fun. Has a few flaws. I'm sure the final game will be good. You've also been playing Metal Slug. How's that going? Metal Slug 3 for the Switch. It's short. I forgot how short it was. But, uh, I mean, it, it does. It definitely helps that you have an instant quarter button. It's funny, because <laughs> this game definitely makes you, like... Well, it just reminded me of the fact that, wow, like, this game literally is designed to take your money. And, like, it has so many, um, I guess, detours are just, like... I mean, you die in one hit, like any other arcade game. But you just die so often because the game is so challenging. But it's so fun. But you die so often. I think after we beat it, I did, like, 30 continues. Wow. Which is a ton. Was that all in one sitting? Is it short enough for one sitting? Yeah, it, was it, all, arcade it, it was all in one sitting. Hmm. I think I'd be like in under an hour, I want to say. But That is short. Yeah. The last level was ridiculously long, but really cool. Awesome animation. But the nice thing about this version of the game is that it comes with, I mean, for, I mean, I'm, like now that I've beaten it, like I definitely want to go back and like start, I guess start to actually learn the levels, like learn the layout because uh-huh. I know people that, pretty much have the whole game memorized they will tell me like oh in a few seconds like this is gonna happen this is gonna happen watch out for this and obviously i would get hit by all of that and i don't know it's just really cool like i want to get to that point because this version of the game has something called the caravan mode which is pretty much just challenges and they also have a time attack mode and the cool thing is that on the side it kind of has a the same ui that well not the same ui the same um layout that you would see on like streamers or people that are doing time trials like for world records mm-hmm. like because the game is not widescreen so it's like a 4-3 screen and they scooch it over to the left and on the right you have the top 10 scores and then a live counter like a live stopwatch basically uh-huh. like as you're running so i don't know it just looks really cool like as you're running you have like the movements to start the timer starts so that's pretty much the most reliable way to, to right time attack. yeah so i think that's really cool that they built that in game and i really hope other virtual console games that come out like kind of offer that because I mean they're not adding so, so did the, the, any more like new. Mode. So that's not the original. That's something they add. That, oh yeah, that, 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 that hamster straight, or whoever developed. Yeah, that's straight added. up like a because all the single player games like that have that. Right, right. Um, that that was just really cool. I just like that it has an official time attack mode. Basically, with I do like, find it amusing that like we were talking about how there's no virtual console on Switch, and yet here's this, this random like third game, party. Here's game. this random company literally called Hamster, and they're just like. Well, if Nintendo's not going to do a virtual console, we're going to do one. And they just, like, poured it over all these Neo Geo games. They have a whole second wave coming with the original Metal Slug and other stuff. But it's cool. I didn't realize they were doing enhancements. I thought they were literally just port. I know they did, like, bug fixes to brighten the colors after that didn't work out correctly. Yeah, but I, I didn't know they were actually the adding bug. things. No, yeah, you really could, cool. I mean, you could play with any controller. You could you could, custom, you could fully customize the controller. They have the, the thing that the NES has where, oh, you can make it look like an old TV or, like, the different filters. That's actually really cool. And that makes it way that makes it work double dipping for people that may already have Metal Slug Three on some other system or on emulation either, even because I can play on TV with like all these extra enhancements. Value proposition. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty much the exact same game that you remember, except the only thing is um, I mean there is a lo- there is a lot of slowdown. I mean the frame rate definitely takes a pretty big dive whenever there's a bunch of explosions and things on the screen, which happens pretty often, and it sometimes helps you because you can see the bullets coming. Mm-hmm. But 
um, from what I remember, because like going back to that friend that has played it a ton, mm-hmm. said that it definitely looks like it's worse on this version. Maybe that's because this is a port of um, not the cabinet, but maybe the console version. Well, I, I think know. it's Neo yeah, because G- it's Neo Geo. It's Neo Geo. So I mean, honestly, I'm not even because I th- it's technically. I mean, honestly, the only Neo Geo I remember is just that portable one, but it's obviously not a port of the that Neo one. Geo Pocket Color. Yeah, uh, it's technically called ACA Neo Geo. The the um game and i think aca was the cabinet and neo geo is the console so we have both in the names so i'm not sure so i don't know it's could be reasonable to believe that it's a part of the console one and instead of using i guess taking full advantage of the switch's power they're like you know what let's replicate the lag which i always find annoying other people like it because it's it's, they can now build as a faithful reproduction yeah yeah because the thing and, is, like, and it comes of... as an American version and a Japan and a Japanese version. I don't know what the difference is. Outside, then on the bottom of the screen, it says different corporations, like for trademark or something. But yeah, I mean, Metal Slug. I mean, if you like Metal Slug, if you like two D platform shooters, I I definitely recommend. And it's only seven bucks. Eight bucks. Eight bucks. Seven ninety nine. Yeah. But I mean, at this point, it's just kind of weird that they didn't release like a collection of Metal Slug 1, 2, and 3. Like, it is kind of random that it's just 3. It's super weird because they had Metal Slug Anthology on Wii. They had all of them. Yeah. So why don't they just put that on Switch with, like, the time attack mode added? That seems like a yeah, stop but, I mean, for what it is, like, I never really dove into Metal Slug 3. I've played Metal Slug 6, I think it was, or 7, the one for DS. And I think it was one on the arcade. And I always enjoyed them, but... This is the first one I've actually owned, and I'm definitely very happy with it. So many nice little touches with just the way the characters move. It's one of the best, if not my favorite example of sprite animation in video games. Really? That's a and good it, and, it's, and it still holds up really, really well. Just There's so much little personality and so much little things. Like, I mean, if you eat an apple, like, they grow like really fat, and just like uh-huh. the way they move is cool. Like, when they turn into zombies, it's the animation for the puking. Like, the people that animated this game really knew their stuff. They were... I don't know. You can really see the fundamentals in there. It's really cool. It's really awesome. That's cool. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I knew it had personality. Like I knew that's one of the Metal Slug series is like kind of hallmarks, but I didn't realize it was quite that much just through animation. No, that's, it, that's it's really just cool. so smooth. It's like, I mean, it's like smooth and snubble though. Um, it's like another good example. See, I can't even really think of one. Like, it's, they really dove into the frame rate for this one. Like, they, every sprite just moves so fluidly. Like, they don't skip around like in Street Fighter or in, uh-huh. like the Mario Brothers games or anything like that. Right. Yeah. They so they they don't do the thing where they rely on your eye blurring the two different frames into yeah. one cohesive animation. They actually animate each step of it. Yeah, basically. Oh, interesting. That I mean that that maybe that's why there's lags. That's a lot more resource heavy. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think in terms of your your point about the lag versus no lag, besides the whole like faithful reproduction, I think part of it is also like certain strategies are developed by players to overcome certain parts of games that are dependent on exactly how the game's running at that moment. So in a weird way, not having the lag would almost change the game more than just like, you know, it's working normally now. It actually change how you approach certain aspects of it, I'd imagine. Yeah. But but yeah, it sounds like it's actually really worth the eight bucks. Like I'm I had no interest in game, but now I'm kind of having second thoughts pretty good i would recommend it if you i don't know if you want to if you just want another game to play on your switch that's on the cheaper end i think it's definitely worth eight bucks right i mean it's eight bucks that's a pretty good game and it's multiplayer i mean it supports multiplayer so it's it's two-player co-op yeah two-player co-op yep that sounds cool 
And could... I actually made legitimately check this out. I didn't realize it was like, I don't know, you, you sold me on it. Huh. So, good job. I'm still going to beat you with the splat roar, but good job. Um, the, I, I guess that pretty much does it, actually, for this episode. The, the one thing I want to say as we say goodbye, a thought just popped into my head, so I'm just going to throw it out there. What happened to Bye Bye Box Boy? Where'd it go? Last episode, we're like, oh, it's coming out March 23rd. And tell tweet, it's coming out March 23rd. Tweet's gone. Trailer's gone. Where's Bye Bye Box Boy? I went Bye Bye Box Boy. The only thing I can hope is Nintendo heard my plea about bringing the QB Amiibo to America in the last episode. They're like, boy, that Jason kid won't shut up about this. Let's delay the whole thing so he can get an Amiibo. But uh, who knows? Uh, if you happen to know where Bye Bye Box Boy went and you're listening, you can leave a comment on episode 147. Or you can tweet at us, at RamNintendo. Um... It's also handy to follow our Twitter, at RamNintendo, because that's where we'll be posting about upcoming episodes and other cool things that may be coming. There are other cool things that are coming. Stay tuned for the cool things that are coming. Uh, are there? There are, coming up pretty soon. I'm not going to say much more now, but keep an eye on our Twitter. We have a interesting not-podcast content on the way, so that's all I'm going to say about that. that? But, that's not exciting. It, hey, it's cool. All right. Way to downplay it after I overhyped it. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you can follow us on Twitter there. Um, you also can use that to figure out when our next episode will be. Cause quite frankly, I don't know exactly. We will be back in two weeks as we always are. However, I'm going to be in Japan. Actually, by the time you listen to this, I'm in Japan. So I need to get back from Japan and then record an episode, but the, the exact logistics of that time is a little up in the air. But what I can tell you is that episode is going to be really cool. Cause now I'm going to talk about snake pass as we alluded to earlier in this episode and have impressions of that. And of course the latest news, but we're also going to kind of do thoughts on Japan, thoughts on the gaming culture over there, kind of a follow-up to what you covered a year ago, Angel, when you went. So we can kind of swap notes, compare That's stories. That's right, that thing. Yeah, so it, it, it's worth, like, if you have any interest in Japanese game culture, just Japanese culture in general, I, we will probably be doing a deep dive on that next episode, so tune for that. And to make sure you don't miss it, like I said, follow us on Twitter at Nintendo. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes, and it'll just auto-download, Podcast Ag, Player FM, any of those, Google Play Music. And now, for the first time, I can never say this, uh, also Stitcher. We are now on Stitcher, which is, I think, behind iTunes, the biggest podcast syndication network. Although, I could be wrong. So, you can find us on Stitcher. Just search around Nintendo, and we are there, and you can subscribe. And if you wish to leave us a review, um, that would be great, because apparently the way Stitcher works is we only start getting populated around the network outside of just our direct page with reviews and with star ratings so if you like the show consider taking a minute to leave a review it will mean the world to us wait so <laughs> when you said something exciting is coming you weren't talking about your trip to japan no. because it's a non-podcast related no not not podcast recording related something else oh. on ramtown.com is coming and that something is cool and that's all i'm saying about that you will see it by the time people... so i don't know what it is uh you do oh. you should I don't know. This is getting really too cryptic for my life. I just wanted to tease it, and now we're going like way too deep. Just keep an eye on the site, guys. Um, huh. I guess yeah. I'll have to also. I guess you will. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, like I said, we'll be back around two weeks. I'm um, being sincere. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I can write it on a piece of paper if you want. I'll tell you after. Um, but yeah, you can also follow us individually on Twitter. You can see my Japan adventures of gaming greatness at JSR7. You can see Angel's adventures in la where he lives of la normalness i guess or are you going anywhere when i'm gone i don't know maybe you have great adventures too but you can follow him at where o w i guess it would be the time to explore yeah yeah when i'm not around to hold you back i guess but yeah you're at twitter at w-e-i-r-o underscore o and yeah that does it so we'll be back in two weeks time um and until then i'm gonna go complete my pilgrimage to nintendo headquarters so bye